This is Unfiltered, episode 272 for March 14th, 2018. Day 417 of the Trump administration, and by one measure, the whole investigation appears to be over. The news was so big, the president switched to all capital letters tonight to say this. The House Intelligence Committee has, after a 14-month-long in-depth investigation, found no evidence of collusion or coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia to influence the 2016 presidential election. In fact, there it is on the summary of the investigation, quote, we have found no evidence of collusion, coordination or conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Hi, day, everybody, and welcome back to Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chase. Producer Matt is at the helm over there, you know, keeping the stories coming. And oh, yeah, this guy just coming back from yeah, California. going to give it a go. He's going to give it a go on the mic for the very See how first I do. time. I think he's going to do a good job. He's very bigly. Mr. Chris Fisher, what's going on, buddy? Howdy, buddy. It's good to be back, isn't it? It's good. It feels I know. good. You're to be back, back in your home state. You're back in your home chair, your home mm. bed. And if you wondered where we were last week, well, then you just gave away that you probably skipped over the Patreon segment. What? Yeah, I got a, I got a few messages. People were wondering where we went. I was in California covering scale. I have uh, coverage of that in other shows. But this week, buddy, oh, man. <laughs> it's one of those weeks that I think people are glad this show is around. I got a few tweets like, "Oh man, I, this is a good week for Unfiltered oh, to be around." Oh, I know. And, you know, it, for for me, I have I have tried to actually suppress Ooh. and be chill. Yeah, because about this, there's so many things to get into, and you and there's I have to lot. avoid certain conversations to save it for the show. Well, that's what I tell people at work. I say, you know, hey, you guys, I'm save sorry, it. I'm saving it for the show. Save and then they're the like, show. what show? And then I. T- <laughs> They're like, what, the 5 o'clock news? What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. And <laughs> they, then they label you as alt-right. Yeah. And no, I'm just kidding. Oh, I know. And then I get labeled, uh, uh, you know, uh, a flake. Or what yeah. is it, a snowflake? Yeah. Yep. I don't know. You mm-hmm. know, Chris, I don't know what I'm labeled as. Well, uh, this week you may get be called a flaming liberal because we're uh, going to dig into uh, the Russian death scandal of a spy, supposedly. And, of course, the majority... Wrapping up their investigation, job done. It's all done. Plus, everybody's freaking out about Trump's on-the-spot agreement to meet with North Korea. And then, as if we didn't have enough to talk about, Trump fired Rex Tillerson and moved the CIA director into the State Department. <laughs> what? Yeah, oh, we'll talk oh, about that. Oh, yeah, and not just the the uh, you know the State Department uh, secretary, but also oh, yeah. the undersecretary. We'll get to and, that, too. Oh, yeah, yes. so lots of stuff. Now, we do like to start every single show out with a segment that was inspired by Edward Snowden, and oh, that is our cyber segment. I thought it was AOL, but ASL? All right, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And you might wonder, why do we talk about cyber every single episode? And I'll tell you, it's because cyber is different. Cyber is important. Cyber attacks pose new and dangerous threats that are distinctly different from traditional national security challenges. Unlike traditional warfare, the most powerful countries are actually the most susceptible to cyber attacks. So this is propaganda that's been put out by a lobbying group called Policy D. They've launched a new YouTube channel to engage U.S. citizens on important topics that we need to influence Washington about. Because of how economically advanced and digitally connected they are. 
Another difference is that cyber attacks often go after a nation's critical infrastructure. Often go after a nation's critical infrastructure. Mr. Chase, we're on the spot. Yes. Can you name a single national hack where a cyber attacker has gone after any Western nation's critical infrastructure? Power grid, water systems. Can uh, you name a single one? Because I can't. I, I can think of the Sony attack. I can think of WannaCry. Um, I can think of a lot of crypto ransomware crap. Oh, I remember that stuff. Yeah, yeah but I can't think of any time the power grid's been taken down. And fundamentally, one of the things about the U.S. power grid especially is that it's not one uniform power grid. There's it's, three of them. There's different – and there's different private companies yeah. that run the different areas of those three grids. And it sort of makes it – a harder attack surface. Yep. But yet they somehow managed to spin that in this video as a weakness. Another difference is that cyber attacks often go after a nation's critical infrastructure, which, in the U.S., is 85% owned by the private sector. <gasps> this makes... Cor- the private sector! Evil. Oh. They're evil. Coordinating defenses is especially difficult. Also, with the expansion of the Internet of Things, the available targets for cyber attacks keep increasing. Your consumerism is causing oh. us to be vulnerable. And that's another thing, too, which is probably a, like a, you know, a whole tech snap topic in itself, <laughs> yeah. is, the, no is these companies that put out these Internet of Things with such lax security yeah, measures. And no commitment to keep them updated. I know. Yeah. That, I mean, oh, yeah. It's a constant source of content. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like I said, a whole tech snap about it. Yeah, really. Now, the Microsoft uh, president, not Satya, because he's the CEO, but the president of Microsoft isn't sitting around on a wasted opportunity. He's all about taking advantage of the new war. All right. So Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, came in to talk to a bunch of Axios reporters and editors. Axios is just like a rock star reporting. They go from zero to 100 all of a sudden. And uh, they got an interview with the president over at Microsoft. Now, you maybe heard of this guy before because he once proposed a cyber Geneva convention. And one of the big things he wanted to talk about was cybersecurity. Cyberspace has become the new battlefield. Oh, Oh, the battlefield. battlefield. For the most part, we would say that we live in a world that is at peace. These are the kinds of attacks that one would more typically associate with times of war. You know what I thought he was going to say is these are the types of attacks that we can monetize. The kinds of attacks <laughs> that we can monetize. One would more typically associate with times of war. One of the points that he wanted to Wait, was to there make an was edit that... there? Oh, yeah. Like in yeah. that last, this like, is and it's, it's a sloppy one too. Live in a world that is at peace. These are the kinds that was of one attacks edit. that one would more typically associate with times. That's another edit. Yeah, with times of war. And so they, where's the part in the between there? They didn't even they didn't even try to cover it with a zoom in crop. They no. just it was just a, it was just a hard cut. So what did he say in between Probably there? something about how Microsoft can monetize blah, blah, it. Blah, 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 <laughs> is a time of war. Something about show me the money. The war. One of the points that he wanted to make was that governments have been spying on each other for centuries. But what we're seeing happening now is that governments are actually using those tools to do espionage and launch actual attacks on citizens. And so Microsoft, of course, has a solution. The first was last May with the WannaCry attack. Which was developed around software that the NSA had stolen and leaked because you can't trust the federal government to have backdoors into products because when they do, it leaks, like the very core software that powered WannaCry. Launch actual attacks on citizens. The first was last May with the WannaCry attack. Well, we are learning more about a massive cyber attack. WannaCry. WannaCry. The WannaCry attack. It affected computers and people in 155 countries. 
in the history of the world, we've never seen a single attack that has affected so many places simultaneously. That's because we've never had the U.S. government stockpiling zero-day vulnerabilities like they are now. There's a direct correlation there. It's obvious. You see, WannaCry, go look it up. We covered it on TechSnap, is built around leaked NSA code. If they hadn't been stockpiling those vulnerabilities, WannaCry wouldn't have its engine. Fact. So maybe the Microsoft rep could mention that. (laughs) You know, uh, could you – do you remember your buddy? My um, good friend. James Clapper. Uh, Jim, what's up with him? The old uh, old former DNI. You remember, do you remember uh, why he initially showed up on our radar? Way, way. It was actually even before Edward Snowden had leaked. That was my go-to. I was going to go to Snowden. Yeah, but... it was actually before Snowden had leaked a single document. Oh. He said something that that put him on the unfiltered radar. It's what he's famous for, actually. It's you know, it's been years now. Yeah, it's so actually I... been actually. That's my point. It's been five years. Yeah. It's been five years since James Clapper lied to Congress and said that the NSA did not spy on U.S. citizens, at least not wittingly, is what he said, which oh, then right. prompted Edward Snowden to leak all of the documents, Prism which, and which showed that they were wittingly spying. Oh, yeah. And that was five years ago. And that date has, uh, has an important relevance. Five-year deadline to charge former U.S. intelligence chief James Clapper expires on Monday, despite calls from both parties to prosecute him. He allegedly lied to Congress under oath about mass domestic surveillance. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. There are cases where they could inadvertently perhaps uh, collect, but not not wittingly. Of course, that was what he was really alluding to is there's loopholes that we can use thanks to Section 02 uh, where we can go in and do five hops and uh, we're collecting everyone's internet for three days and then we pull out uh, X factors and we store them in a database and we can search on those metadata terms. But no, we're not wittingly collecting data on, <laughs> on anybody. Uh, now, five years. Wow. And uh, what's do you know what James Clapper is up to now? No, what's he doing? He is a paid commentator for CNN, and he calls in all the time, and he often also Skypes in. I want to ask you also, General, about the NSA director, Admiral Mike Rogers, today. He was on Capitol Hill testifying, specifically asked about U.S. efforts to stop Russian interference uh, in elections uh, at at the origin of the attack, right? Now, he's now a paid mouthpiece, so he's he's raring to go. He's ready to say whatever CNN needs him to say. Uh, sometimes he's a little uh, overambitious. To go to bring it to the Russians. He said he has not received authority from the president of the United States to do this. And well, I just wanted to play. Well, I'm going to play for you. I'm sorry. I want to play for you what he said. I got a clip. She's got a clip. Yeah, she's got a clip. Anyways, uh, it doesn't really matter what the topic is. They now go to Clapper. Uh, do you remember uh, Mr. Kirby? Yes. Mr. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. That's yeah, right. he's now a CNN panelist. Interesting. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me is some of these guys that were so like tight lipped and felt abrasive at times to the American people and the media now are jumping right in with both feet. And it's sort of a way for CNN to buy its way into legitimacy. Uh, If they keep hiring, uh, so they've got Clapper, they've got Mike Rogers, they've got Kirby, um, and I'm I'm forgetting one or two others as well. 
Uh, and in a way, it almost gives them relevance because you have these people who are subject experts now on their panels. And even though the CNN hosts have lost all legitimacy, they can sort of buy these people that have a reputation and bring them on their show now. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... And it's, of course, they're not any more legitimate than anybody else because they're on the CNN payroll. Well, and, and that's where is is the their experience, whether you like it or not, their their experience in, in government operations... Would you? Does it matter which network you even hear them on in the first place? They're I mean, all probably they're all probably a hot commodity, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's now you can go. Uh, you can you got different revolving doors now when you're a government official. Like it can be Comcast, it could be Monsanto, or well, it could be the media uh, industrial complex. I, I forget who it was. What the former FCC chief is now the the head of the like cable and telecom right. association. Right, remember so your, it happens. Remember your buddy Morell? Oh yeah, he's Mike working Morrell. for CBS. That's he right. used to run the CIA. That's right. That's right. I remember when they used to have to, like. Put that disclaimer yeah. on there. Now I don't think they do that anymore. So there's a big, big controversy, a huge story going on from across the pond, from a small town across the pond. And uh, within just a matter of days, it's gotten international recognition and mystery. What unknown substance sent this former Russian spy to the hospital critically ill? Officials say the man and a woman he was with were found unconscious on a shopping mall bench on Sunday. No visible injuries. They looked so out of it that I thought even if I did step in, I wasn't sure how I could help. The hospital emergency room closed for decontamination. They're currently being treated for suspected exposure to an unknown substance. Both are currently in a critical condition in intensive care. And of course, there's only one possible culprit. The British press identified the man as Sergei Skripal, a 66-year-old former Russian intelligence agent convicted of high treason in Russia for working with British intelligence. He was freed in 2010 as part of a Cold War-style U.S.-Russian spy swap. Today's events drawing parallels to the poisoning of ex-KGB agent and Putin critic Alexander Litvinenko, who died after drinking tea laced with radioactive polonium. Well, that's not even close to the same method. Assassination British officials say was likely approved by Putin, a charge (laughs) the Kremlin denies. But tonight, in this case, police say they still don't know if a crime took place. Now, what's weird is it's just out on this park bench, out in the middle of a public park. Well, that's where they were found. I mean... Did they did they go back like retrace their steps and know mm-hmm. like maybe mm-hmm. Yeah, here's a little bit more. Okay. The investigation into the attempted murder of former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia is widening. Tonight, more than 240 witnesses, at least 200 pieces of evidence, police combing through five crime scenes. The sleepy city of Salisbury is an unlikely setting for an international spy mystery. Nothing goes on in Salisbury. So no, this is a complete shock to us all. Never seen anything like it in all my born days. Today, authorities revealed that traces of a nerve agent were found at the restaurant and pub where Skripal and his daughter spent last Sunday. Surveillance video capturing their last moments before falling ill. That security video was taken at 3.47 p.m. By 4.15, they were found unconscious on that bench. They remain in critical condition a week later, but are now listed as stable. The poison, a nerve agent, but where exactly was it administered and how? Still unclear. Skripal was a former Russian intelligence officer turned double agent for the British. Convicted in Russia in 2006, but released in a spy swap four years later. Locals say the city is the perfect place to hide. This is a sort of quiet backwater they would come to where they would just blend in. 
Chemical weapons expert Hamish de Breton Gordon says the use of a nerve agent suggests a state operation. Russia, the prime suspect. We know that uh, Mr. Putin has his elections next week. He's always very keen to act as the world's statesman. And you could say this is a statement from Putin to say anybody who opposes us, you know, wherever you are, will get you. Now, uh, you could also say, geez, that is extremely, extremely public. It seems like a very risky thing to do. There's a lot more quiet ways to kill a person, especially when you've got to kill multiple persons. British counterterrorism police tonight guarding the London house where a Russian exile and critic of Vladimir Putin was found dead. The cause, say police, unexplained. Yeah, another one. Nikolai Glushkov was 68 and a close friend of Boris Berezovsky, a billionaire who fled to Britain fearing he'd be murdered after clashing with Putin. He was found hanged five years ago. Glushkov wrote, I'm definite Boris was killed. Now he too is dead. Counter-terrorism police are leading this investigation, they say, as a precaution because of Glushkov's associations. But there's no evidence, they say, to link this to the poisoning of third. another That is Russian. not Theresa May. Yeah, no, it is not. Uh, there's a couple. I, there's a couple of red flags. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I so I so these people die. I'll just say this really quickly. Yeah. These people die, uh, and then it goes from unsolved mystery death in a park in a small town across the pond to international speculation in three days. Uh, before there's been any complete investigation, the U, the U, UN ambassador for the U.S. today said that uh, the U.S. believes it is indeed Russia. It's been only only days. Like the invest, like they're still at the crime scene collecting evidence. They haven't even reviewed the evidence yet, and we're already attributing it to Russia. And it's an international story. I'm not saying it's not Russia, but I mean, if I'm like a professional killer, seems like I'm going to do this a lot quieter. I mean, there's a, there's a better way to do this than leaving this huge trail of evidence and doing it in a very public place. So I've I I don't typically create conspiracy theories off the top of my head. But this is a conspiracy theory that I just came up with off the top of my head. Yep, hmm, that is bacon. I don't know. It's a little cheap. It smells a little cheap, it, Jay. It's it not is, even flavored. It, no, it's real cheap bacon. It's like, you know, the discount bin before they need to throw it away. Um, has it been ruled out yet? Probably haven't. Or maybe it's not even being considered that the couple that, that got killed, what if they did it to themselves? Well, that wouldn't make for a scandalous story no, about no, no, Putin. No, no, no. No, they did it to themselves to make the story about Putin and Russia. Whoa, that's some good. That bacon tasted better than I expected. I got to be honest with you. Because the one thing that, I, I mean, obviously, like you said, the investigation is still ongoing, right? It's still going. And for them to jump so quickly and to immediately expel, what is it, 21 diplomats from the UK today? Right, right, yep, I, it yep. happened today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after a big I, speech. I'm, I'm just... It ooh, it's interesting to me because I I mean if it like you said if it's Russia you know what hey th- th- this needs to be totally investigated but if it's not what happened here and it just seems a little I don't know perfect they are they are against speci- the regime it's a special kind of nerve agent that we like. knew Russia once produced so it's likely Russia because we know they did yeah. it once even though we know exactly what it is so anyone could produce it because now it's out there I, I just, would want to know if. I don't know. I, I would. I mean, I know these things are not like sexy to talk about in the media. They 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 they're the kind of thoughts that you hopefully you never don't you don't want to have. But did they have financial troubles? Did, were they you know they're like you know what you know or 
we have some health issues. You know, we're we're just gonna we're gonna do this, and I, I wonder, we're gonna try to bring them down you I, know, I, for it. Who I mean, really? You never know. No, you don't know. Have you seen this? Uh, there is a clip going around. I'm trying to find it here. Is see if we have. I think we have it in the supporter sync. But it's conspiracy, like I said. I don't know. Yeah, there, uh, just throwing it out there. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, here it is. I just found it. Here's the, so, so this is supposedly uh, a clip of Russia one gloating uh, days before the poisoning. Uh, this is – and they're saying this is gloating uh, just days before the poisoning. You tell me what you think. I don't know who was behind the attack. Pro-Kremlin media are gloating. No empathy, calling Skripal a traitor. The traitor's profession is one of the most dangerous in the world, the anchor says. Those who choose it rarely live in peace and tranquility to a venerable old age. So they're saying that sh- that, that, and that aired a few days before the poisoning. All right, so – all right. That's interesting in its own right, too. Yeah. I just – or maybe the couple saw that and – I mean you never know these things, so right? Here's, here's, a, here's Russia's response. Moscow says it has no connection no. with the poisoning of the Russian former spy, Sergei Skripal, in Britain. Russia is innocent. That's your buddy Lavrov. Oh, hey, Russia Lavrov. is ready to cooperate according to the Chemical Weapons Convention – if the United Kingdom bothers and condescends to abide by its own international obligations under that convention. So he's kind of saying, look, there is a UN convention There's on how to handle side. this. Yeah. Let's follow it. And if you, say, if you think you got something, let's figure it out. Uh, I don't think that is necessarily uh, – this is a uh, horse before the cart, cart before the horse kind of situation where they're going to run like crazy with this story. And uh, I wonder if we're not going to get a, a, this turned up as we get closer and closer to the election mm. in, in, in Mother Russia. It's something to hold on to and uh, keep an eye on. Who, you know, but uh, everyone was doing Putin's bidding this week at the uh, intelligence committee when the GOP members decided they were done doing interviews. Republicans who control the House Intelligence Committee say they finished investigating Russian election meddling. President Trump used capital letters to appear to shout the committee's conclusion on Twitter, no evidence of collusion or coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia. Jeff Pegues is on Capitol Hill with the disputed GOP report. Jeff, good morning. Disputed! Good morning. The House Intelligence Committee's Russia investigation has been hobbled by partisan fights almost from the beginning. Yeah, really. You know, I, I'm a little, I'm a little sad um, that uh, we didn't go on the air last week because I had a red book that came to me while I'm driving, and I was going to say this. And I was going to say, Mister Chase, do not think we are going to get some sort of coherent conclusion out of this Intelligence Committee investigation. It's we're going to get a Democrat and Republican version, just like we did of the memos, just like we did of all of the interviews. And, uh, of course, the GOP has the leadership position. Now, Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff your best friend, by Sheriff the way. Woody, yep. said himself, it wasn't actually a surprise. We, we, this has been in discussion for a couple of weeks, but the timing was a shocker, is what he said. Well, Nearly 14 I know months ago. Shock. I, well, the timing part. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into that now or well, not. Well, I do, but okay. let's finish yeah, this right, up. Right, and then cool. we'll get right. After 73 interviews and nine hearings and briefings, as well as a review of over 300,000 documents. So 73 interviews, nine hearings and briefings. It's about 14-ish months, uh, 14 and a half-ish months. It kind of depends if you go by Diane Feinstein's uh, timing, which should be 15 months, or the official timing. I mean, which would be 14 months. Republicans on the committee concluded that there was no evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russians. The GOP members on the committee also disagreed with the intelligence community's 
January 2017 assessment that Russia's meddling was partly because of Russian President Vladimir Putin's supposed preference for candidate Trump. Adam Schiff, the top Democrat on the committee, accused the Republicans of trying to protect the president. Democrats on the committee will get a look at that draft report later on today. This Russia investigation is not... He has not seen the report yet. He has not... Actually, there were, member, well, there were members of even the Republican yes, right. side didn't see it either. Yep. Close to over, it continues in the Senate Intel Committee, as well as the special counsel's Russia investigation that is ongoing as well. In a statement, the spokesperson for the director of national intelligence told CBS News that the Intelligence Committee stands by its January 2017 assessment that Vladimir Putin had a preference for President Trump. Got to tack that on there. I don't know why, since that wasn't a news statement, but you got to tack that on there. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the timing. So immediately uh, when this went – well, as it was going public, uh, your good buddy, Sheriff My Woody. No, uh, your bus buddy, by the way. Oh, your buddy. Oh, oh, man. You guys follow each other on Twitter. Oh. That's all I'm saying. Last night, the majority on the Intelligence Committee made the decision to – uh, prematurely shut down the Russia investigation. The only authorized investigation in the House of Representatives. There is significant evidence, much of it in the public domain, on the issue of collusion. But not all of it, he says. We are going to... Oh, they cut it off. Uh, he says some of it is not yet to be released. Do our best uh, to continue our work. Uh, there are individuals uh, who want to cooperate with our committee. Uh, and share information and will continue to do so. So the thing that I really think is kind of weak is like the interviews they have left to do are – there's not very many heavy hitters. Well, There's Rance Priebus in the mix in there. Uh, you've got uh, – who else? There's well, somebody well, else that's noteworthy. So Papadopoulos, off, I think. There were, there were a number of uh, witnesses that were called that, remember, refused yep. to answer questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were not officially like subpoenaed to answer questions, right? And a lot, and and a lot not, of use of executive privilege. Exactly. So, so there's that. Uh, but Which, that isn't, you know, as much as Schiff would, will, will bitch, that is not new. No, but 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 there are significant players in the White House that refuse to testify. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's Exhibit A. But for me, on the timing of of the situation, what was what was happening around the same time? I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah, actually, okay, let's save that. Okay, because I have a clip down here right. dedicated. So, to that. So that that's that's A. Yeah, I agree. B. I think Plus this, the primaries are kicking up. Right. So B, the, my other theory on this is, first off, I, we should have both read book this months ago because I think this is exactly how it was going to play out. The matter of when, we weren't sure, but this is how it played out because I don't think in a million years that a Republican-led uh, you know, uh, uh, investigation is going to find any issues. That right, be, right. That being said, I think – they're setting up the playbook. This is maybe a, a mini red book prediction. They're setting up the playbook to if Mueller finds some negative things against members of the cabinet, Don Jr., you know, Don himself, you know, the president, that they can say, well, look, see, Mueller's being biased because we found no problems. And to try to delegitimize the, the special counsel well, investigation. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, definitely could. Uh, there's still there's still two other investigations. So the Justice Department, besides yeah. besides old Bob there, yep. has got like the, the the deputy has got his own investigation going, and there's still an investigation in the Senate going on, and you got Bob's. So that's really three investigations we still have going. And I almost wonder if you need some of these to wrap up just to get the hell out of the way. This one started first, um, so I, I think there's that's definitely a possibility. But I still feel like there's a couple of interesting things to note. 
right now where we're at. Number one is um, we're seeing some interesting characters come out of the woodwork to talk about this on the GOP side that completely stayed out of the media. And this is something I talked about in the past. I said uh, there's two people that keep coming out in the media, Devin Nunes and Adam Schiff. And Adam Schiff runs to the microphone. Adam Schiff is the private source for every anchor on CNN. Adam Schiff is active on Twitter. Adam Schiff is calling in to Rachel Meadow. Adam Schiff is flying out to see Bill Maher. He is very, very, very active in the media. Devin Nunes is a little bit more reluctant. Um, you know, he always looks like he's hiding a secret when the camera's on him. He's not really, he's not really, doesn't have a good media presence. Not that Woody does either, but the but there is an entire panel of people that have completely stayed out of the media and now we're starting to see them come out of the woodwork to talk about this and there are a couple of key points i think we can at least take away from them spinning this thing down and instead of me rattling them off we'll let uh, cucker do it this is a fox news alert a draft report by republican members of the house intelligence committee says that there is quote no evidence of collusion coordination or conspiracy between the trump campaign and the Russians. That's the result of 14 months of investigation. So here's my thinking is this is like the absolute highest possible thing that they could have found. Like this could have been like the big whale, right? And there's no whale. But these other investigations are probably going to find money shit and they're going to find – Well, they already have found some stuff. Like yeah, Manafort. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and, and the 13 uh, Russians who have been indicted. Like yeah. there's going to be a lot of little things they're going to go after. But yeah. I suspect this whale may not exist. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. The new report we just referred to found no evidence of collusion. It did warn that America was woefully unprepared woefully. to check Russian meddling efforts. Oh, that's another thing. Um, all of the talking points from the Republicans are like, oh, yeah, but the, but the Russians, yeah, they, they're totally meddlers. So they're like, no collusion, but totally meddling. Has done little to improve since then. It also blasts our top intelligence officials for leaking to the media. The 150-page report will now be reviewed by Democrats and intelligence officials before it is released to the public. Congressman Mike Conaway is a Republican representing Texas. He led the investigation by House Republicans into Russian meddling, and he joins us in the studio tonight. Congressman, thanks for coming on. This is actually uh, this guy's first television appearance. Um, uh, he's intentionally tried to stay out as an investigator of the media, trying not to influence the media discussion, which I can respect. And so I thought maybe we'd give him a little bit of airtime here because uh, this is somebody who was directly involved with the majority investigation. And he answers some of Cucker's questions. And uh, they start off by uh, slamming that 17 intelligence agencies numbers because we all know here on the Unfilter Show because we just read it right off the page. It was three intelligence agencies, the NSA being one of them, and they wouldn't even say that they were, conf- they were positive. They, w- they said they suspected. The other one was the DHS, you know, that group that Bush threw together after 9-11 that didn't even have a cyber – Sorry, di- had to ding the 9 Didn't even have a cyber division until a couple of years ago. So you got, you got DHS – the guy running that, by the way, when they published that report, gone, fired, not even there anymore. And then you have the CIA, who were so anti-Trump or were out to kill Trump, totally – I mean his presidency. They had, they, had a, they had a totally in for Hillary. Uh, and these were your three agencies. And, and so the 17 number, uh, uh, the 11th hour, your, your good buddy. My friend. Bry actually still quotes the 17 intelligence agencies. Rachel Meadow still quotes the 17 intelligence agencies. CNN is still quoting the 17 intelligence agencies. It's 
at the it it's literally on the first page of the report. It is one of the very first things after who it's from, who it's addressed to. It's the intelligence agencies. It's like in the middle of the first page. It's three agencies. If you open the PDF on your computer and you look at the first page, it's three agencies. And it just drives me crazy that in 2018, this 17 number is still getting kicked around. The 17 number literally has to include the Coast Guard if you add it all up. The Coast Guard. <laughs> Tucker could be with you. So Thanks, is man. the report as definitive as we just suggested on the question of coll- coll- yes. collusion? Collusion. It is, Tucker. We've, uh, we've interviewed 73 witnesses. We've looked at 300 plus thousand uh, documents uh, to try to find uh, what there might be. Uh, we've uh, seen some perhaps meetings that were uh, inappropriate or, or uh, ill-advised to have taken. We've seen some chance coincidences where people bump into each other in various places, but no evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians or the Clinton campaign and the Russians. Now, are you satisfied that you saw enough intelligence gathered by our intel agencies to make that judgment? Well, we made the judgment based on our own investigation of witnesses. Uh, we've yes. been, like I said, 73 witnesses looking for that thread that, uh, that would lead us to a collusion, conspiracy, or coordination. So I have a, I have a question about the witnesses part. Uh-huh. Okay, so, so they did 73 interviews and stuff. What about the, the interviews that they did with Bannon where he refused to answer questions and the other members that refused to answer questions? They have subpoena power. Right, but that's, that would be their only option is they'd have to start the subpoena process. So, so here's the thing. How, I understand they did a lot of interviews and he has millions of documents. By the way, all those poor trees. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what about – I mean, Money, dude. If, if, money. This, this is a, a very important investigation, right? One of probably the most important that they've ever done and maybe their whole political lives. Wouldn't you want to be thorough – uh, enough for for the sake of the country, quote unquote. Well, we don't we don't know how thorough they were yet because they haven't released no, th- anything. That's true, but we do know as a matter of public record and thanks to the media that there are key members yeah. of the White House that did not test fully testify. This thing always is, and, but doesn't this always just seem like a uh, a horse and uh, pony? Oh, totally. Kind of like and, a and wag I, the dog kind of. I mean. Hell, when you when you, this is why I go back into my previous point where you know they're they're pushing this out. We haven't talked about point A distraction. Yeah, we'll uh, get there. We'll get there. But this to me was a rush thing. It felt like to me that it was pushed out the door before they were kind of ready to do it. Maybe I they're agree. Holding on to I it. I don't think it was for Trump though. No, but I'll continue. Let's continue no. on. Yeah. I, I want to give this guy a little more airtime just because right. uh, I, I he and, and others. Have uh, stayed quiet. I, yeah. A little more of his rationale. Than I, just, I just, I just disagree with some of the methodology that you could say the invest there. the interviews were not thorough enough. They didn't give sufficient answers. Right, and you know, and they didn't uh, use their power to follow up, and when they could have. We ask every witness that, and we've come to uh, we found no evidence that uh, anything like that was going on. So Adam Schiff today, who would be the ranking Democrat on the committee, released a statement calling this report, and I'm quoting, a tragic milestone. Oh, he read it yet. So right. Well, bit- he says it short circuits an investigation that he implies is just getting going. Oh. Well, 14 months is not just getting going. Yeah, really. I mean, geez. Uh, like I said, we've done the work we believe is necessary to answer the four questions. We had a pretty narrow scope. It did not include uh, collusion, did not include a lot of things that, uh, that perhaps the Dems would like to chase down. Here's the thing that uh, – here's the thing. Um, if they had something, don't you think, don't you think Schiff would leak it by now? Because that's what he does. 
Like if they had something. <laughs> so here's here's a here's kind of another here's another individual. Then we'll, this is the last of these uh, that uh, has never really come out until after the investigation. He responds to uh, Sheriff Woody's uh, uh, criticism. Texas Republican Will Hurd is a member of the House Intel Committee. Great to have him from Texas along board today. Thank you for joining along us. Along board. Thanks uh, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I want to start with what Adam Schiff said. He said the GOP viewed the job as protecting the president. And not getting to the truth, I'm paraphrasing the last little bit of that. He might have said the facts. What is your reaction to that? Well, that's ridiculous. And, and Adam probably hadn't even seen the report, the draft ooh. report yet. So. Ooh, she says. Yeah, well, ooh, because you guys didn't share it with him. Oh, snap. Is oh. With that. oh, snap. Ooh. 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 Well, that's ridiculous, and, and Adam probably hadn't even seen the report, the draft Ooh. report yet. So, um, you know, th- this is one of the things that's frustrating um, uh, about where we are is the inability uh, of us to work together on common things. I now, agree on We that. actually all do agree on a lot of stuff. We, we do, agree do agree that the, the Russians tried to influence our, our, our elections, that mm-hmm. they were trying to erode trust. And if there was some evidence of collusion, you know, there were so many leaks throughout this process, <laughs> uh, the press. The American my people point. have yeah. seen a lot of this information, and I don't think there was anything that was ever revealed that that suggests that type of activity. You know, Congressman Heard. I- so uh, I, I, that's that's another individual who didn't come out much. But uh, um, I, can I just take a moment and just. Uh, play this clip just because it makes me feel really good. This is for me. Well, Adam Schiff has proved that he is a political hack at the highest levels. Wait, He's wait, an stop. Can you pause for a minute? Pause. I, I just, wait, to, I just wait, those Jason Chaffis is a Fox News contributor now? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't I just saying this earlier? I know. I just had to. What's I, happening with everything? So <laughs> What's going on? You, me, and oh. Joe all happen oh. to agree, I think, on a particular piece of bacon on the timing of this and the Rex Tillerson stuff that we're about to get to. And, and, oh, Joe Mika? The question is oh, okay. why. I asked the question, why the timing now? Uh, it's really a leading question because you could have asked the same question. Why did Donald Trump rush into that meeting with the South Koreans when he wasn't even supposed to be in there and immediately started blabbing about wanting to get together with Kim Jong-un? What did he not want on the front page of the newspaper? He didn't want the Stormy Daniels story on the front page of the newspaper. Do you think the White House might have called and put some pressure on, again, on on the House Intel Committee to randomly select yesterday to look uh, or to leap before they looked? There was no reason for them to put this out yesterday. They knew they were going to be making fools of themselves. I don't know. There was Pennsylvania. I mean, I, I don't know. There, there was reasons. But well, that, well, actually, that's the other interesting thing, too, is, yeah, Pennsylvania. So what <laughs> the do election. You, what yeah. do you think? Do you think this could be a, an attempt to distract from Stormy Daniels? Is that possible? Totally. I mean, totally, because what what happened? Nobody's going to buy that. Our audience no. listening is going to think we've lost no, it. No, no. And I know the audience might think that. But here's here's the thing, right? When when this – I work in a news organization. My, again, disclaimer, my views do not reflect those of my employer. But that being said, uh, the uh, when this news dropped, this – oh, yeah, it took Stormy Daniels way off, yep, off the radar. That's, that's how it works. And you guys got to realize something when in any, any or, uh, organization and administration, when there is a narrative and some news thing going on and it's hitting the front page every day and it's not looking good for you, what do you try to do? You try to change the message. Yeah, you wake the dog. And, you know, I, I, I agree here with Joe a bit that um, there, why? Well, there was no reason for this to happen. Yeah, I mean, it was at like the timing it did. What was it? A month ago, I was our red book that Stormy, this Stormy Daniel thing is going to build and build and build. Yep. And it, it, that has played out. 
Uh, Still building. So, and there is also Joe's point, which I don't. This North Korea stuff is is funny to watch, actually. So let's back up a little bit. Yeah. So this week, uh, huge news, huge, huge news, huge, huge with North Korea, and uh, paint the scene. Trump busts into a room with South Korean the, diplomats. The, well, the press room too. He poked his head in. Hey, something's coming up. Be ready. I don't seriously. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, he did. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's shocked everybody. In fact, the quote that I've heard the most is. I'm not surprised, but I am shocked. That's the quote I've heard the most. North Korea has performed a political 180, saying there is no reason to further pursue nuclear weapons if it gets a security guarantee. The country even promises to halt nuclear tests during proposed talks with the U.S. This latest development came after a visit to North Korea by a delegation from the south. The head of the group says he was told Pyongyang says there would be no need for a nuclear program if there is no threat of invasion, referring to the U.S. military presence in South Korea. As a result, the two Korean nations will hold their first joint political summit in decades in April. And yet, even with an albite cautious prospect of peace. So that starts very positive. Things look very good. Uh, and then the next thing you know, uh, this news about Donald Trump saying, yes, right on the spot. Yes, I'd love to meet, sends everybody in a bit of a tizzy. How does any meeting between Trump and Kim not turn into a victory for the North Koreans? It's hard to imagine how, how it doesn't. First of all, They've had a victory by setting the terms and by having the meeting itself, as you were pointing out. If that's your standard, if if having a meeting with North Korea equates to losing, then we were then what did they what, what did they ever want to see accomplished? Here's what I believe is both the risk and the benefit of Donald Trump. There is now a inexperienced diplomat that's going to be negotiating with a very hungry uh, potential uh nuke power. Now, the flip side of that is Donald Trump is willing to meet directly and communicate directly via Twitter and via this potential meeting. And what previous administrations have always done is they've always had a third party arbiter. A th- they, they never got involved directly. So there was always going through somebody. Well, I just put this in frame here for a moment. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with like somebody's assistant or uh, go through somebody else to schedule somebody else or ask questions of somebody else. The person that you go through, the proxy, is always way more rigid. No, 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 no. Mr. Daniels will only meet at 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Friday, the 21st, uh, and we will need to know what the attire needs to be and what equipment you'll have on site and – Please make sure everybody gets their name checked in, filling out this form, and that's it. There's no further discussion. Then you go meet Mr. Daniels. Like, oh, it's so great. Yeah, no, you have as much time as you want. You can bring anybody you want. No big deal. This is literally – I'm changing the names. This happens all the time when I'm trying to schedule interviews or anything like that. And that's how these essentially assistants are going there and doing the negotiations for the presidents forever. This is what all North Korean leaders have wanted. Three generations have wanted a meeting – legitimacy from an American president. And not through some third-party negotiator. Right. It is not prepared. There was no letter, despite leaks that there was. So we do not yet know what he's really offering. And the Treasury Secretary with you repeated the, the phrase denuclearization. Our objective is denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. That is a trap. The Korean Peninsula means we eliminate our nuclear umbrella from our allies. Globalists are not not a big fan of that. Not not a big fan of that. And it's sort of shocking. Like how can he just be willing to to meet 
How can he just be willing to meet? And I, and I think there is a fundamental issue here. I think Kim would run the risk of being viewed as, as um, irrelevant and, in fact, not being taken seriously. Do you recognize the guy down in the bottom right? Do you recognize him? Uh, I'm not going to dignify that with I'm response. not going to dignify that with yep, an answer. That's another former government employee now on the uh, CNN commentary panel. And there's a pretty good chance, and you're going to think I, I'm a conspiracy theorist for saying this, but it's just the way it works. There's a pretty good chance at least one of those people also is a CIA asset besides Aaron Burnett herself probably. Uh, she <laughs> so, likes chicken. <laughs> if he were not to acknowledge that the coalition, the South Korean-U.S. coalition, military coalition on the peninsula, is one of the best in the world and has been there for 70 years. Hoorah. He has to acknowledge that that's not going away. Not going away. And that their rhythm of exercises and rhythm. joint connections and that that command is going to continue to exist in some capacity. The fact that he acknowledged that realize, <laughs> makes us realize there might be something real here. But again, we have to be incredible. A large dose of skepticism has to be taken with all of this. All right. So the, the core issue, which is took him a long time to get that out, is fundamentally there is a significant military industrial apparatus down there. And this has to be done in a way. And this is what they're really concerned that Trump's going to screw up. This has to be negotiated in a way that totally dismantles North Korea's apparatus, but completely leaves our apparatus and ideally a little room to grow. All right. Well, thanks very much to all of you. Just an extraordinary evening and of course opening the door to the big question if president trump can truly solve this problem uh, that would be going down as a great president and there's no way around that that is the reality here no 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 i think no 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 hey hey i think that is genuinely why the media is having a really tough time handling this story and so they're looking for a lot of things to pick at because how the hell do you get around the possibility that if donald trump negotiates a denuke agreement with North Korea, that's going to be a huge accomplishment. No president has pulled that off. Right. Absolutely. This problem, uh, that would be going down as a great president. And there's no way around that. That is the reality here. Thank I, you. You know what? I, I think, you know. It'd be I worth th- it? Well, yeah, I really do. I mean, I, 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 have, I, yeah. have, I have. That's a serious problem. My, my wife is Korean. You know, and uh, I have parts of my family that are in Korea, yeah. that are in South Korea. Yeah, and I think anybody who spends time and, or knows anybody from South Korea knows it's a pretty unique place. And, and they're going to be the first people that have problems if we have some I, sort of military conflict I with mean, North Korea. I mean, there are, of course, there are segments of all populations that, you know, want to criticize. But the majority of the Korean people, they want to unify. They, they, you know, they, they have family members on the other side of the border. And it's, it's, it's a very tough situation over mm. there. There are some... There are some travesties uh, with, you know, with human conditions and, and, and just, just prisoners and just so many terrible things that are happening in the North. And if the president can even just begin to crack that even just a bit, just to crack right? it a little bit. And even if he didn't finish I, it up. And I would stress to the president or whoever's doing this, just just take it slow. I mean, you know, get what? the yeah, ball rolling, get just get it started. You know, you don't I mean. It's like, uh, like it's like a job interview, right? You don't go in there with your first question. Go, hey, how much you going to pay me? You know, you you ease into right. things and you ease into certain. This things. is going to be the beginning of a massive diplomatic process that yeah. is going to be watched by the entire world very yes. closely, yes. scrutinized. So you know, probably the best way to start this entire process is by firing the country's top diplomat. Now on Reports <laughs> breaking news: After months of policy disagreements over the Iran nuclear deal, over Russia tariffs in North Korea, the president fires his secretary of state, who had early warnings but only finds out about it from a Trump tweet this morning. 
Rex and I have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, we we got along actually quite well, but we disagreed on things. So we were not really thinking the same. The CIA director, Mike Pompeo, a Trump favorite, is the president's choice to become the nation's top diplomat. I do want All right. because I want to win. No, 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 no. Let's no, stop no. here. No, 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 no. Oh, you want to stop here? So Pompeo, <laughs> the director of the CIA, your favorite organization, is now moving over to run the State Department, mm-hmm. uh, assuming he makes it right. in. And um, the first thought I had about that is you don't generally do that if somebody's doing a bang up job. Like this is like maybe if this is like one of your best CIA directors of all times, you probably don't move him because he's doing such a good job. You want to keep him where he's at. Yeah. yeah. So he's either doing a bad job or or he actually has a different job. And he's doing a good job at that, but it's not the job we're being told it is. So think about this for a moment. Mm. What have you noticed has changed in the last six months about the White House? Have you noticed the dramatic reduction in leaks? Yeah. Huge reduction. But there is turnover. Yes. Also, have you noticed that this antagonist relationship that was really coming out in the media – of the CIA versus Donald Trump, this sort of hostile relationship has pretty much gone away since Pompeo came into office at the CIA. Right. He's essentially de-escalated the situation between Donald Trump and the CIA. And it doesn't hurt that Trump's essentially handed the reins over to the Pentagon for their operations and has taken the leash off of the CIA and they're getting a lot of what they want. He played ball with the military industrial complex bigly. And I think Pompeo went in there and cleaned house and got rid of some career politicians, not the kind that are elected, but the kind that get hired, the ones that we never get any news about because they're just the rank and file, you know, the people that make up 99 percent of the government, the rank and file that are just career politicians. I think Pompeo is a hatchet man. And I've ran into these. I was fired by a hatchet man at one organization. He came in and cleaned out and outsourced the whole IT department, the hatchet man. Came in from Washington Mutual, big shot, boom, hatchet man. He did the same job down in Texas, ba-ba, hatchet man. And he fired tons of people. Cleaned it up and got all the people that are on board with outsourcing all in power. Now Pompeo's going to go to the State Department and clean the same shit up because Trump wants something done different in Iran. He wants something done different in a lot of Middle East policy and especially in how we're interacting with China and North Korea. And so a lot of us I think have thought and I include myself on this that what we were seeing play out between Trump and Rex Tillerson was good cop, bad cop. Trump would call him rocket man and on the same day Rex Tillerson would say, but we're open to negotiations and diplomacy. And then Trump would say that uh, there was going to be fire and fury and Rex Tillerson would jump on an airplane and fly to South Korea and stand at a military base and say, we're not going to let there be any conflict. I'm so confident I'm here standing where there's, where the conflict would start. And there was this back and forth and, and I went on that and said – I looked at that and said, well, that seems like Trump is playing hardball and trying to psychologically – Good get- cop, bad cop. Trying to get at Kim. And yeah, and Rex was then saying, but when you're ready to crack, we're right here. Well, now, now that Rex has been fired and now that there is progress on a one-on-one meeting with North Korea, one has to speculate that perhaps it had nothing – perhaps that wasn't intentional at all. Perhaps that was a legitimate disagreement in policy and we were seeing our president not play hardball, not intentionally play bad cop, but actually just vent. worked with Mike Pompeo now for quite some time. Tremendous energy, tremendous intellect. 
just like me. We're always on the same wavelength. Uh, the relationship has been very good. And- that's Trump for we talk almost every night on the phone. It really is. <laughs> and uh, that's what I need as Secretary of State. Don't you also need that as your CIA director? I wish Rex Tillerson well. This is a more presidential firing. Mine, yeah. Uh, this this is actually a much more presidential Trump in general. He's actually very positive about Rex. Gina, by the way, who I know very well, his who wife. I've worked very closely, will be the first. Oh, no, not his wife. The new the CIA, the new CIA, which we'll get to. The new CIA director will be the first uh, lady CIA director. Um, and she's also famous for, you know, a little enhanced interrogation technique. Gina, by the way, <laughs> who I know very well, who I've worked very closely, will be the first woman director of the CIA. Why has he worked very closely with her? What does that mean? He worked closely with everybody, Chris, to be fair. For years now. Well, at least for 14 months. He's an outstanding person who also I have gotten to know very well. So I've gotten to know a lot of people very well over the last year. Sure. And I'm really at a point where we're getting very close to having the cabinet and other things that I want. I actually buy that. I think this is I think what we're seeing is a shift in he's tried a few different things because, you know, he really had no he had nothing to really draw upon. Um, And uh, I think what we saw was a difference in how we saw a difference in opinion on how to handle North Korea. He felt he had to play tough. Rex wanted to play the diplomat. And now that Trump won that argument, essentially, essentially, is that a word? Uh, Existentially. Now that Trump has essentially won that argument. Yeah. Uh, that was the final straw, I would suspect, to fire Rex. But I think Mike Pompeo will be a truly great Secretary of State. I have total confidence in him. And as far as Rex Tillerson is concerned, I very much appreciate his commitment and his service, and I wish him well. He's a good man. Mr. President, Mr. President, what did you tell Rex? Rex and I have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, We... We got along actually quite well, but we disagreed on things. When you look at uh, the Iran deal, I think it's terrible. I guess he thought it was okay. I wanted to either break it or do something, and he felt a little bit differently. So we were not really thinking the same. With Mike, Mike Pompeo, we have a a very similar thought process. I think it's going to go very well. Rex is a very good man. I like Rex a lot. I really appreciate his commitment and his service, and I'll be speaking to Rex over a long period of time. Just a kind of a different, uh, different approach there. But yeah, you mentioned uh, that other person who got fired. How about this one? The undersecretary. The White House has now fired yeah. a State Department spokesman who put out a statement this morning defending the secretary's work and expressing surprise at how the secretary found out. His name is Stephen Goldstein. He's the undersecretary of state for uh, public diplomacy, and he has been fired. He is the official. We read you a statement a short time ago who put out a statement uh, saying the secretary had every intention of remaining in the job. You see the statement there. Oh. And it went on to essentially question the president's manners, saying the secretary did not speak to the president this morning and is unaware of the reason. Yeah, Rex got a phone call and said, hey, heads up from Kelly. There's going to be a tweet for being fired. Um, on the one hand, you would say a quick acting White House, an act of def- what they view as defiance, uh, firing somebody at the State Department. Again, Admiral, I want to start with you just because of your experience I'm working in these kind of jobs, in answer. these buildings, at a tough political moment like this. Yeah. Does it shock you? The secretary goes, and no. clearly, he w- clearly he had, the secretary had something to do with this statement. That's uh, Rick Santorum on the other end, also <laughs> a CNN contributor now. 
issued essentially saying I was doing a great job uh, and I don't, I don't know why I'm being fired and I don't like how I was fired. And now the guy who put it out under his name is gone too. Right, but there was long simmering tensions, I think, between Mr. Goldstein and White House officials. He was, he's a political appointee hired in. He came in to really try to revamp the communications process at state, get Tillerson out a little bit more. So he has been, and he's been on the record spokesman for Tillerson, particularly on these trips. He has been seen as sort of Tillerson's voice. And when Tillerson pushes back against the president, it is usually in Steve's name. So it doesn't surprise me that, the, that this has actually happened. And look, I can speak from experience. I worked for Secretary Chuck Hagel, when he was let go by President Obama, guess who was out on the street looking for a new job? You know? So, I mean... Yeah, it's not too uncommon for the... What he says is for when the, when the primary gets fired, the right. lieutenant goes to. And, and, you know, and, and the lieutenant, you know, the, he actually... They worked very well together, him and Rex. And... Uh, I was, I was, Maybe they can get a job at CNN. And, and I was, <laughs> you know, I was reading a story that you know when when Rex joined the State Department, yeah, and you know his his methodology was was obviously a lot different than what they were used to, and after a while, his staff, you know, they they enjoyed Rex, you know, and. You know, a lot of people do want to knock Rex and his style and his techniques, but I don't know if you watched his well, his going away. Oh speech, man, that was there was it, some emotion in there. Like he got know, his shaky voice a yeah, couple of and, times. And I think he he passionately did enjoy his work. And a lot of people go, oh well, he just used his uh, what was it Exxon that he was a CEO of. Oh, he well, was just trying to. Can I can I bounce off that point for a second because yeah. I, I actually feel like I got a bit of uh, freaking whip last year because. Uh, I, I thought we all hated Rex Tillerson. Uh, he's a globalist. He is ex. He's an ex CEO on ex ex Exxon Exxon. Yeah, it's hard to say ex yeah. Exxon CEO. So he's like this oil rich guy who's going to go in and make big deals with Russia, and he's going to he's going to enrich his family in Exxon. And of course, Trump picked uh, somebody who was connected to the oil industry. What happened to draining the swamp? Rex Tillerson is the swamp. Like there was all this outrage about Rex frickin' Tillerson. Until Trump fires him, and now like the media is like falling all over themselves to fawn about how great he is, and I, I I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay, you know what? He seems like he did a b- good job. I'm, I'm more aware of what he has done than what Hillary had done, so I mean, I'll give him credit for that. Uh, but maybe that goes to Stephen Goldstein. Well, but, did he dodge any bullets coming off of planes at all, or anything <laughs> like that? But you know what? I'm, do you know what I'm saying? Like everybody hated Tellerson because he was an oil bad guy. Right. He was going to he was going to make remember the concern well, it was, that he was going to tighten deals down with Russia. So, so I mean, it was, I, and, now, I, and now they're all like, oh, I can't believe they fired so, him. So so first off, I, I believe that it was a legitimate uh, fear or concern that a lot of people had. Sure. Uh, of course. I mean, you look at a guy's background. He gets nominated into the position. He gets confirmed into the position. And and then nothing happens for a few months. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, you're going to speculate and that sort of thing. And But then when you look at your the total body of work as a whole and you see that, oh, you know what? Yeah, you reevaluate. Actually, didn't do a yeah. terrible job. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. It's right. just that's not what the media tends to do. No, no. Well, and, I mean, it's, just, it's reporting one, on a, one extreme or the other. Yeah, they know? turn on a it's, dime. Yeah, they turn on it. Okay, so the yeah. so uh, let's get to a couple more. Uh, uh, well, let's, there's more firings to talk about. Uh, but before we go to those, I want to talk about the CIA director uh, pick here. Senate Gina. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he expects President Trump's nominees for Secretary of State and CIA Director to have quick confirmation hearings. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who was fired yesterday, said an emotional thank you to the State Department employees. The president chose CIA Director Mike Pompeo to replace Tillerson. He also wants Pompeo's Deputy Director, Gina Haspel, to lead the CIA. 
She would be the first woman in that job, but there are concerns about her role in the agency's aggressive interrogations. Jeff Pegues is on Capitol Hill, where the issue is likely to come up during Haspel's confirmation hearings. Jeff, good morning. Howdy mode activated. Good morning. It is her links to waterboarding that have really shadowed her rise to the top of the CIA, and already some members of Congress are signaling... <laughs> Their light went out. Whoops. ...that they might try to block her confirmation. So, uh, spoiler alert, no, nah, it's not really going to be a problem. Um, but there was a less prominent firing... Uh, that supposedly resulted after an investigation by the Secret Service. He was literally the man closest to the president, Johnny McEntee, President Trump's personal assistant, his body man, abruptly forced out of his post and escorted off the White House grounds Monday. NBC News confirming McEntee is under investigation by the Secret Service for serious financial crimes. He was. He was. What? Yeah, yeah, and he was escorted out. So holy crap! So abruptly that he even left his jacket behind. Like they just like you're out now, and they just took him out immediately. Security risk. You're gone. Two federal law enforcement officials. His security clearance in limbo for some time, according to one of the (laughs) officials. The White House refusing to comment on what a senior aide calls a personnel issue. Yeah, the 27 year old former college quarterback's ouster. Biggest thing with quarterbacks is if they can make all the throws. Just one month after the dismissal of top aide Rob Porter, accused of domestic violence, allegations Porter denies, raising new questions about White House vetting. And Hope Hicks, too. A process tonight slammed as deficient by the top Democrat on the House Oversight Committee, who's now demanding more details and documents on White House background check. Yeah, that's Schiff. McEntee's departure strips the president of another of his closest and longest-serving aides, following the recent resignation of communications director Hope Hicks. Still, the body man will stay in the president's orbit. This body man term is totally interesting. It's something that celebrities and politicians have. Uh, Women have women that can be body men. Just hours after it became public, McEntee was under investigation. Mr. Trump's re-election campaign announced McEntee as a senior advisor. So the dude immediately gets he gets fired and immediately gets a job as the senior advisor to Trump's 2020 campaign. <laughs> immediately, how amazing is that? Isn't that great? Uh, okay, so that so there's the firing, and then there is speculation about two potential high-profile firings. Caitlin Collins and I are told this evening that President Trump is considering a wider shakeup among senior staff as he seeks more like-minded advisors. National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster appears poised to depart soon. Following months of speculation about his standing, people familiar with the matter tell CNN, outside advisors to the president have also felt out potential candidates to replace Chief of Staff John Kelly, a person who has been approached about this position, tells CNN. Kelly's departure. Now, so that is a CNN source, and their source is somebody who is approached about replacing Kelly. If that's true, that seems like a pretty good source. Yeah. I, Kelly. I, I, you can't call that fake news. A person who has been approached about this position tells CNN. Kelly's departure seen as less imminent than McMaster's. And Trump publicly praised his chief of staff on stage in California today, though he suggested that Kelly prefers life in the military. Officials said there. You know, there's been a lot of speculation, um, but uh, it does seem like. There has been sort of several phases of the Trump administration that have come very quickly together in a way that I've I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen a White House go churn through people like this before. No. And I mean, that for me. So you brought up an interesting point earlier, and I think it's good to remind the people about the point. And that is 
this is, I mean, Trump's not really a politician, right? And so, you know, there's there's a lot of things in flux. A lot of learning curve. You're right. The one thing I will say, though, is the quote that, you know, uh, he wants to bring people that are more uh, more in tune with his views. Yeah. Uh, and I know I'm paraphrasing there. Yeah, that's essentially what he said. Um, that, to me, and I know if I was the president, I wouldn't want all yes men. I wouldn't want all people that were on the same viewpoint as I would because you don't get any kind of perspective. You don't get any kind of uh, you know different alternative Fair. view. I, but what if he gets his perspective from his family, Jared and Ivanka, and from the media? And then after that, he just needs people to do what he says. Well, because they don't change his mind, anyways. So well, that's true. But I mean, the media meaning what? Just Fox News? Uh, you know, Fox know. and Friends? Well, probably, or... He probably throws some Alex Jones in there. The occasional mainstream media probably right. probably watches the Sunday talk. Shows. I mean, and, and that's and that's where it's like, it, it, does all these firings right? Does do all these you know separations and changes? scare people within his own cabinet to not speak up and actually give an alternative point of view because they don't want to lose their job. I hope somebody writes a good book about this, not that fire and fury nonsense, <laughs> yeah, but a good yeah. one. Wouldn't that be interesting? I What I wonder is, does Trump watch all the news about Stormy Daniels and, and just think, oh, yeah, that was a good time? Like, Or is he like freaking out uh, because uh, Stormy thinks she's got this thing dialed in. She's figured it out. She can make a lot of money if she just gives back the money they originally gave her. Stormy Daniels' attorney says he wants a response from the president's lawyer by today on this offer. Another twist in a controversy that's not going away. No, 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 no. This morning, a new proposition from the porn star to the president. Stormy Daniels' attorney saying she will refund an alleged hush money payment to the president. In return, she'd be freed up to share her story, something she's only alluded to on shows like Jimmy Kimmel's. Do you have a non-disclosure agreement? Do I? Daniels says she signed a non-disclosure agreement <laughs> a famous to keep quote. quiet what her attorney calls a sexual relationship with Donald Trump a decade ago. In exchange, she says she received $130,000. Wouldn't she have to return the money she accepted pursuant to this agreement? I, I think she may have to, and she's prepared to do that. She can make so much more money. Of course she's prepared to do that. Why wouldn't she? And then that story is really going to pick up steam, and of course the left is going to enable that. Um, and there is a uh, radio host out there. Have you heard about this guy? This oh, radio host? Are you talking He's, about Stern? Uh, no. Uh, he says that he had Stormy on his radio. Well, I'll just play the clip. Stormy Daniels' lawyer is warning the president and the public in a tweet that it's, quote, time to buckle up after President Trump's lawyer refused to respond to a deadline set for a settlement offer. Oh, yeah. By the way, they did not respond to the deadline. But uh, I fast forward. So they play this quote uh, from this radio host guy who interviewed Stormy Daniels um, uh, back in the day, back uh, I, I, back before Donald Trump had any aspirations of running for president. Which remind re- – think of it this way. If D- Donald Trump had this affair today, they would have had to pay her way more than $150,000 to keep her quiet. That was sufficient hu- hush money when he was a famous businessman um, and, and, a, and a, you know, a B-level celebrity. And not a TV. presidential candidate. Yeah. Then once he becomes the president, like that has to go up by a few million. We won't say it on the air, but we just promise. for our own. She writes down Donald Trump. So they tell her, let me back it up a little bit. How he asked Daniels to write down the names of the famous people with whom she had sex. Can you write down? Can you write down a name? And we won't say it on the air, but we just promise. for our own. She writes down Donald Trump. Oh, wow! And you can tell it's him because listen to how we describe it. Let me see. Oh, wow! Oh, wow! Let me see. We're gonna, hand, we're gonna hand it around. We're gonna... 
Oh, wow. pass it around. Hey, hold on, hold on. Everybody, be careful yeah. on this. We're, we're not- and so now, man, I said, I know it's Donald Trump, and I'm like, be careful. This isn't Vince Neal or Tommy Lee or David Lee Roth. This is a guy that's, you know, litigious and got money. So she supposedly wrote it down. The only reason I play that is because this particular little bit of controversy can be really used to shake Trump with the base, can be used for the Democrats to make hay out of in the 2018 Mm -hmm. elections. Um, And Stormy Daniels has tons of opportunities to make a ton of money and keep it in the media as this story progresses. It caused me to pick up some (laughs) Blu-rays. I'm I'm, I'm kidding. kidding. You know, it's funny you say that, but uh, rumor has it. uh, Where did I see it? I think it's linked in the show notes like, Stormy Daniels is trending like on searches and stuff. Oh yeah, now for <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> ah, I, I can understand that. Oh man, Chase, um, I, I don't know. I know. I don't know. All right, well, guess what, buddy? Hey, it's time for man. It is the bursting. There is wow. it is overflowing. Patreon dot com slash unfilter. These are our club thirty three members who yes. got in Chase's sack. Patreon dot com slash unfilter. We only picked up three patrons. We'd love to get your support. Uh, because even when we take a week off, we're still constantly following the news, collecting clips. It's not really ever a or week we're off. keeping an eye on things. Patreon.com slash yeah. unfilter. But we do have some feedback to That's get into, Mr. Correct. Chase. Correct. Veratuna writes in, hey, Veratuna. Uh, hell yeah, lots to talk about, like the hysterical drum beating urging us on to war. Well, I want to quickly give my... A precis on the whole red scare that is going on in the UK at the moment. Either we are so scared of Russia because they are so good at espionage we cannot catch them, or we are trolling them with the idea that trained assassins can't assassinate either quickly or efficiently, but instead take the most ridiculous, complicated method costing and, time and, and money. And public, company. and public. Yep. Only to fail to kill either quickly or cleanly. And leave obvious clues that point directly to Russia. Is it just a ridiculous narrative and the fact that the government is all on board with it stinks to high heaven? There is a hidden agenda here, and I'm not sure if it is the pressure from the State Department or pressure from the arms industry. Either way, it is dangerous rhetoric, and it really looks like someone is trying to kick off a shooting war. I think it would be considered ridiculous if not for the years and years and years and years of narrative built up around this 40 chess player that is Vladimir Putin. Absolutely. He goes on to say, these are uh, dark times, but more than ever, we cannot afford to be blind to the truth. Speculation is no substitute for investigation, and groupthink is no substitute for critical thinking. Great comment there, Veritunda. AT writes in, all this Russia news is doing my head in. Hashtag mommy needs a joint. (laughs) <laughs> Mommy needs a joint. James writes and says, hey, Chase, it's my pleasure to be in your sack. <laughs> ha. I don't have much to say in my inaugural entry into the sack, except that I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on the Hamilton 68 dashboard. I've read a lot about it, but unsurprisingly, haven't seen it discussed on the cable news at all. Take care and cheesy. Looking forward to unfiltered supplemental. That's right. That's our next goal on the Patreon page. I haven't checked out, by the way, Hamilton 60. I don't even know what that is. Uh, Chris, can you, do you know? Mm, I don't, it's not ringing bells. I, I know I Google. Probably, will I probably, find it after me. the show, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that, that, that definitely happens. Yes. Uh, Peter writes in and says the following Hey, on the last show, 
you talked briefly about homeschooling, and I just wanted to say you referenced one of the oldest myths about homeschooling, which is that they lack social skills. As someone who was homeschooled, I can attest to the fact that this is not true. There are many opportunities for homeschoolers to be a part of things like sports teams, orchestra, clubs, and most importantly, I would say that I learned how to communicate with people with both older and younger than me uh, because of being homeschooled. No hard feelings. Just wanted to write in and do my part debunking myths and promoting truth. Love the show. Keep on promoting the truth and what is going on in this country and around the world. I, I will say this. I, by the way, I, I did get some feedback. We got some stuff in the traditional unfiltered mailbag about this. And I got to say, first off, thank you for your perspectives on this. You know, full disclosure. Yes, I don't have children. Okay, I grew up. Uh, I'm going to date myself. Here you go. Uh, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I was in elementary school, uh, and you know, going through school and all that, and. It's one of those things for me where I knew people that were homeschooled and their level of, unfortunately, education, you know, it wasn't taken as seriously. It was a different thing. Now, granted, I know it's different in different parts of the country. And for for me personally, you know, uh, things might be a lot better today. And, you know, kids are being able to get involved with a lot of programs. Back in the day, I don't feel like it, it was as mainstream. And it was one of those situations where you... It was just a different time. My uh, my neighbors are homeschooled. My my three kids, well, two of my three kids, go to public school. My youngest doesn't go yet, but she will uh, starting next fall, and um, they'll all three be going to the same school. But my neighbors uh, homeschool their three kids. Same situation. Their two older kids go to school, and the youngest uh, isn't yet old enough. Um, and so they spend uh, like uh, every other day at. Uh, at a public school for homeschooled kids and they happen to be within walking distance but they, I guess they even provide like bus services. Wow. And so nice. it's it's like part of the school district. Yeah. Um, and there's uh, – yeah. And then they have like uh, – they have like activities that they set up with other parents who homeschool and uh, the school provides some level of organization. I don't know about funding but like they help provide the tools to organize the events and stuff. Right. Yeah, so there are, I, there is different ways to to accomplish that. Yeah, and you know, I we could you know whole get a side discussion about it. But that being said, I appreciate the feedback on the topic and having a cordial conversation about it. I, I thank you, you guys, because I know it's a sensitive subject for some Dim people. Patrons, patreon.com yeah. slash unfiltered. A couple more messages in the sack. Told you it was overflowing. Woo. John writes and says, "Hey Chase, keep up the great unfiltered episodes." <laughs> if you get on the subject of guns in schools. I had my brain fried today by a Twitter post. Police are going through school hallways on the East Coast, I think, firing blanks during active shooter skills to make the students comfortable with the sound of gunfire. I've heard this, too. Holy crap. Is this true? I also heard that they played it over the intercom, but is that actually true? Can anybody send me, um, I don't know, some, I I actually don't really want that tweeted at me, actually, I think about it. (laughs) Like, I just, if you're in the chat room, maybe, that's, I I have heard that, that seems awful. I do know that my kids' schools have active shooter drills, and when they come home, it feels like that's it's designed to traumatize them. It reminds me of Duck and Cover. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I, I, Duck. I, I have I have so many alternate uh, not alternative but just varying opinions on the subject. I will say this: like I believe, like in areas where you have natural.
natural disasters that are more likely to strike. Sure, like an like tornadoes or earthquakes, uh, hurricanes. You know, things that can you know that are actually more common than police shooting. Oh, I'm sorry, not police shootings, but school shootings. I mean, if you look at it statistically across the country, your kids are more liable to be hurt on their way going to school, being hit by a car or a bus or something like that, than actually getting shot at school. So I'm just saying. We got to look at this from a from a wide eye perspective. Yeah. Finally, Amber writes in, and this is a great one to end on. Just wanted to thank you guys for all the hard work you guys do every week. I also didn't know if you've heard that there were three bombings in Austin this week. Yeah, the, yeah. the packages. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you guys want to be a part of the Unfilter Club Thirty Three, where you can get directly into my sack, head over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Patreon.com slash unfilter and thank you to our patrons. You guys are the best and uh, stay tuned because there is an overtime coming up just for you. Just for you. Over Well, actually, we do make it available to everybody, but we design it for you. And uh, yeah, we're back to our regular production schedule as far as I know. But if you ever wonder what's going on, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And if we had to change the date... Or if we didn't do an episode this week, you can always kind of find it there. And you can actually just add that to your Googs Cal if you were uh, a maniac like that. Although, I don't know. That sounds crazy. Mommy needs a joint. All right, Mr. Chase, are you ready for the high notes, sir? Let's go ahead and end it all on high notes. So we have uh, Jeff Sessions sort of walking back his new cannabis hardline just a bit. But if you remember, this was actually sort of the first crack in the Obama administration's stance as well. Attorney General Jeff Sessions said the Justice Department didn't have the resources to go after small-time marijuana cases, despite his hardline views against pot. Sessions said federal prosecutors haven't historically focused on routine cases involving cannabis, and that's not about to change. Sessions gave the expanding legal marijuana industry a scare in January when he rescinded what's known as the Cole Memo, an Obama-era guidance that says federal prosecutors would take a more hands-off approach on many marijuana cases in states where the drug is legal. He said the department would focus on gangs and other large-scale drug operations, but he reinforced his opposition to legal weed, saying, I am not going to tell Colorado or California or someone else that possession of marijuana is legal under United States law. Well, yeah. So he's sort of walking it back a bit, saying, well, we're just going to go after the real big fish, you know, the big ones. Uh, But in the meantime, when you have a country that uh, has a sensible policy towards legalization, like the tyrannical Canadian government does, as we tyrannical, know, yes, very as, we, as we know, uh, the tr- hypothetical wars, the Trudeau, the Trudeau regime, as I like to call it, <laughs> is uh, is taking sort of a nationwide approach to the legalization of cannabis, yeah. and so this opens it up to play in the actual economy, and so because of this, a Canadian cannabis company has already gone public. We need to jump into the money pit with the first marijuana company uh, to launch. On the Nasdaq, it's called Cronus. It only operates where pot is legal, and the chief executive is with me. And he means at a federal level. Cronus CEO Michael Gorenstein. So you don't operate in the United States, to be clear. Correct. Do not operate in the United States. Canada, Canada, Germany, Australia, Israel, and expanding across the globe. And you are operating, you are selling, distributing, growing medicinal medicinal marijuana. Correct. And is that by design, obviously, do you wish to move into recreational marijuana when the time is right? 
Well, when the time is right, yes, but we're not going to leave the medicinal cannabis market behind. And, you know, if there is a limited amount of uh, supply, which there is today, there's a shortage. We want to make sure we're taking care of patients first. There's a shortage. This is a real medicine. And when you look at what's going on across the globe, it's important to make sure we're able to get that uh, to patients. He's going to make some money. Uh. They're going to make so much money. Even if they just focus on medical, they're going to make so much money. And now they're on the NASDAQ. Right. So there's your uh, unfiltered hot But Chris, stock tip. you got you got to keep the <laughs> war against cannabis going, Chris, because you know the government has a patent. They want to protect that patent and protect those pharmaceutical People companies. People love money. That's the, the way. government wants that money. Now, Chris, the market wants that money. During the course of your stay down in California, no doubt you sure, shared yes, some content. You shared people what was going on. I did. There might be a platform yep. where people can actually, you know, get those alerts pushed ha- to them. Have you have you heard of the Twitter platform? I have Chris heard of Twitter. L-A-S. Also, check out the Tech Talk Today show. Tech Talk Today. Returning this Friday for the finishing of it'll I think we got four more, three more episodes of season one. It's a ten season episode. Tech Talk Today. Episodes live from the road to at California and and going to be on the way home, as well as the return of Angela to cover the news headlines. We've already got a full stack, Tech Talk. Today. Oh, nice. What about you, buddy? You know where people could find you online? Hey, you know what? You want to see my never-ending drama oh, with boy. Nunes, at Nunes on Twitter. Also, check out my gaming streams on Twitch. The oh. channel is called Geek Gamer TV. Girl. And we got a Discord as well, discord.gg slash TV, where you can come chat with oh. me. Might be doing a pinball broadcast this week at a certain grand opening somewhere, so follow me on there. Linux Fest Northwest is coming up soon. If you want to meet Chase and I in person, go to yes. linuxfestnorthwest.org for details on that. Yes. The IRC room is back this episode. Let us know what you think. If you want to join that, it's irc.geekshed.net. Hashtag unfilter. The Discord is still up. Discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. Thank you so much for joining us. The overtime is coming up, but if you got to head out of here, I'll leave you with one last tip. Join us next Wednesday for a live unfilter. Get it converted. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We'll see you back here next week. those guys i have my own special memo that says the show's not over yet in fact it's time for over for staying woke. God, it just... I'm still not over yet. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Now, we took last week off, and I thought one of two things were going to happen. You guys were like, yes, I love that they're not overworking themselves, that they're doing the show sustainably. I'm going to go support that. But that did seem like a long shot. But three of you felt that way. Tim, Daryl, and Kyle. Oh! New patrons this week. Thank you, guys. You know what? I understand. Because version two was, when you don't do a show, you don't pick up any patrons. So I am thankful for our three new patrons. This year's show dedicated to you. Well, at least this portion of it. Whole damn show really dedicated to our patrons if you think about it. But this particular portion. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Current, future, 
all of the above patrons. Thank you for donating. Thank you for contributing. Thank you for keeping us on the go. Patreon.com slash unfilter. So, got to start the overtime with the classic O'Nancy segment. Now, I have got one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, geez, I got to scroll. Hold on. Seven, eight additional clips in the supporter sink. If you can get your little hands on it this week in the O'Nancy folder alone. We took last week off, so there's a lot to get into. So I'm going to play the hits for you. And um, stick with this one. This may prove to be the longest one minute and 22 seconds of your life. After adding $2 trillion to the debt, Republicans plan $2 trillion worth of cuts all over the country. We're having a tax scam, the, the, the tax march. What does this mean to your state? In Arizona, in Texas, in Illinois, in Florida, in New York, in Massachusetts, in California. Did I say California more than once? It's a big state. This is Nancy Pelosi, and I have named the O Nancy segment after Nancy Pelosi. I know, it's a shocker. Now, why? Why Why harp on Nancy? Is it because she's a woman? Is it because she's white? Is it because she's from California? Those may be valid reasons for some, but no, they are not why I go after Nancy Pelosi. I go after Nancy Pelosi because she represents a real special kind of corruption. You see, she's in her late 70s. She's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, even though she's worked in elected office her whole life. She's a corrupt Democrat. She's part of the corporatist Democrat corruption that has caused them to lose the presidency, caused Hillary to lose. It caused Bernie to lose. It caused Donald Trump to run the board. It's part of the systemic corruption that involves the DNC and where all the money comes from, which is Nancy Pelosi. She represents the core of the corrupt apple. House Democrats introduced H.R. 50011. You have to ask yourself, why would they not want to protect the integrity of our elections. That's so fundamental. Everybody cares about that. that yeah, yeah. Well, in any case... Uh, she loses her place. Watch her face if you're watching the video version. She's completely lost right there. That's so fundamental. Everybody cares about that. Well, in any case, uh, on, on to... For Dexits, I've called on the administration of both parties... Uh, oh, I wanted to just say another thing here um, that is happening this week. This week we had the sixth being the 14 months since uh, and the first day of the new elections and why we should have election security. What did she just say? And creating good paying jobs, re- reducing cost is how we got here. Speaker of the House, Minority Leader, Nancy Pelosi, ladies and gentlemen where we were in 2008 in the first place. Because Isn't it ironic that her title is speaker? Because again, there's some features that you might say, how do we help community, uh, community banks? How do we help... Um, S, um, um, you can tell she's really passionate about the issues, really fired up, super cares about them. Uh, community banks, how do we help um, S, um, um, raise that number? I think that number could be raised. Nancy Pelosi giving her critical analysis there for you. Uh, But don't uh, let uh, my criticism of her concern you if you're a Nancy Pelosi supporter. Because according to Nancy, she eats nails for breakfast. We we have to, with all of the vision that we may have about uh, e pluribus unum and from one nation, from one, uh, the the idea of, uh, of bringing us all together... Whatever vision we have about liberty, 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This, by the way, is the Progressive Caucus for Strategy Center Summit. And Nancy Pelosi is the top Democrat, a progressive. And this is supposed to be her big speech. For all Americans, all sharing of prosperity. Whatever vision we may have, well, my, my motivation is one in five children in America lives in poverty. I can't handle it. I mean, I just can't handle it. So every day I eat nails for breakfast, don a suit of armor, and go out there and fight for the kids. She's fighting every day for the kids by eating a bowl of nails, darning a suit of armor, (laughs) and fighting for the kids. I eat nails for breakfast, don a suit of armor, and go out there and fight for the kids. (laughs) Because that's about everything. It's about the future. But... But you see, come on, let me do it one more time. So every day I eat nails for breakfast, don a suit of armor, and go out there and fight for the kids. Nancy Pelosi, uh, and by a, uh, a bowl of nails, she means a bowl of dollar bills. Because that's about everything, it's about the future. But, but you see them now in their budget saying, oh, we're going to, you, you hear them say, we're going to have some safety measures in the schools. They want to take it out of Title I when they're not cutting Title I. I mean, we, are, we do not have shared values. This is different. I mean, we used to have shared values and different approaches. We don't even have shared values. So, so we don't even have shared values. We used to have shared values and different approaches. We don't even have shared values. You see my point. There's something I, – I, I don't know. I'm a doctor, so you could probably take my advice. At least I play one on the internet, so take it for what it's worth because I'm a totally trained physician here. But there seems to be something wrong with her. (laughs) That's all. Now, Maxine Waters, however, is positioning herself for 2020, and she's playing to her base. This business about who's the biggest, who's the baddest, who's got the biggest gun. Yeah, you know this business about that? You know how we've all been talking about who's the biggest, the baddest, and who has the biggest gun? I've been talking. Have you been talking about that? Because that's, well, that's what I've been. No, you haven't been talking. That's not what you've been talking about. This business about who's the biggest, who's the baddest, who's got the biggest gun. I don't I don't know what business she's talking about. I mean, we've been talking about uh, ARs and we've been talking about shootings. But I don't think anybody's been comparing dick sizes. This business about who's the biggest, who's the baddest, who's got the biggest gun. This president keeps edging that on. Yeah. This president keeps edging what on? You, you're you criticizing a debate that doesn't even exist. You're, you're saying the president is edging on a, a debate that is non-existent? That doesn't make any sense. The biggest, who's the baddest, who's got the biggest gun? This president keeps edging that on. Yeah. You know, he's a bully. He has a bully mentality. He's- it says the woman that is attacking him on grounds that just don't make any sense, that has really kind of positioned her entire political clear- career recently around attacking the president. Now, I don't know about you, but some might consider attacking someone and con- constantly going after their character and maybe perhaps even calling for their impeachment could be considered bullying. I, I don't know. president keeps edging that on. Yeah. You know, he's a bully. He has a bully mentality. He's over there whose gun is the biggest. And that's what you hear. This arms race is just mounting. We need someone in the presidency who not only has good sense, but understands diplomacy and understands what we need to do to have peace in this world. Obviously, that'd be Maxine Waters. So that we can all look forward uh, to the possibility that we're someday, we're someday going to have a world that's about peace and justice and respect for individual liberty. And so that's what that's all about. Is that your stump speech for 2020? That's kind of, that's kind of... Oh, shit, girl. Oh, no. Oh, God. My millennials 
stay woke. <sighs> if they if they run Maxine Waters, they will lose. She will be destroyed in the debates. They, oh man, and it, it you got Nancy, you got Maxine Waters, and it's sort of like the trifecta. Now you've got Hillary. She leaves the country. She says whatever she wants. Hillary Clinton, meanwhile, thousands of miles away in India. As a result, she figures it's safe to say what she really thinks about you. Watch. His whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. We- now, that's a premise that uh, I think could be legitimate. Make America Great Again has uh, inherent implications that in the past, when racism and sexism was more prevalent, America was better. That's the implication, right? But you could also make the reverse implication if you've got a DeLorean and you can get that sucker up to 88 miles per hour. You could also say make America great again is an extremely forward-looking statement. It's about making America great once again by moving forward, by capitalizing on what we're best at, by protecting our steel industry, by redoing our trade laws, by taking a look at NATO. So you could make the argument that make America great again is also a forward-looking statement. It's just really whichever dimension you want to tune into this week and this side gets you upset. More than you are, whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. We don't do well with married white women. Um, and part of that is a, an identification with the Republican Party. Uh, and a, uh, a, a sort of ongoing pressure uh, to uh, vote the way that your husband, your boss, uh, your son, whoever, uh, believes you should. Jeez. Now, <clears throat> I had a response to that. But uh, Tucker Tuckerson is going to say everything that I was going to say. But I just want to replay it. I want you to listen to the words that this woman is saying. To a uh, an identification with the Republican Party. She's talking about women. Uh, and a, uh, a a sort of ongoing pressure uh, to uh, vote the way that your husband, your boss, uh, your son, whoever uh, believes you should. Well, notice who Hillary Clinton did not blame for her loss herself or her ideas or anything she's ever said or done. But it is a mistake, though, to make this about Hillary Clinton. She's a figure of the past, but her ideas are very much a feature of the present. The clip you just heard precisely sums up the view of the left in America right now. A bigoted middle class is holding back progress. They believe that. To the Democratic Party, voters in the middle of the country don't have legitimate views or aspirations. They have only ugly gut reactions. Mm. They're racists and dumb people. Mm-hmm. White women, as Hillary Clinton said. They can't think for themselves. They're puppets of their husbands and sons. Worst of all, they're attached to those stubborn little cells of independence called families. This, okay, so I was with him 100%. Like, it's so, it's so demeaning to the intelligence of women that their sons or their bosses or an overbearing husband is going to force them to check a different box when they're in the voting booth by themselves. If a woman was in that position, let's be honest, she'd probably lie and just say, yeah, yeah, I voted for Trump and she voted for whoever she voted for. But it's so demeaning to their intelligence, to their independence, and she's trying to position them as victims. But by saying that the women would be victimized in that position, it sort of 
is in itself saying they're not capable of breaking themselves free from that victim cycle because they're underpowered. They're, they're not capable enough. Worst of all, they're attached to those stubborn little cells of independence called families. Now, he picked up on this thread, which is sort of the subtext of what Hillary is saying, which I hadn't really thought about. Nothing stands in the way of power like families, so they must be smashed. That's the message. Hillary may be washed up, but she understands perfectly well what the goals are. Julie Alvin is lifestyle director at the Meredith Corporation. Now we can stop there. Um, I hate this when they do this. I guess there's nothing better you can do, but of course, then they bring a woman on. Just like if uh, they were talking about somebody black, they'd bring an African-American on. And if they were talking about somebody Hispanic, they'd bring, a, they'd bring a, somebody who has an Hispanic background on. Like, I get why they do that, but it seems so obvious on its face. Um, yeah. I don't like that. I, that is the kind of feminism that really drives me crazy because it feels like what – and the reason, why I, the reason why I feel like it's OK to say this is because I had two different women say that to me when I played that clip for them because I, I played it and wanted to get their reaction. And that was their reaction to it. And it's like, OK, that, that's also what I was feeling when I saw that clip is it just felt like when she said that, it's so self-rationalizing and it exposes her real opinion. In the process of self-rationalizing why so many women didn't vote for her, because that's what she's doing there, is she's trying to explain why she lost she lost among women. You'd think that would be her big demo because that's what she pushed so hard for. So it's, it's a version of storytelling that betrays a deeper thought process. That's my opinion on it. Um, although we can take some solace in the fact that uh, Hillary's still having a tough time. You know, you, you've seen the clips of her falling when she's going up the stairs on Air Force One. You've seen the pictures of her being held while she goes up and down stairs. Of course, we all saw her collapse at the 9-11 memorial. She still has the cough at uh, current speaking events. She still has her cough. Well, in India, when she was on her book tour, when she was making those statements – she was being held by two of her security guards as she went downstairs and still managed to fall and hurt her hand quite a bit. Now, I'm going to play the video for you. If you're watching the audio, if you're watching the audio, it's an old habit. If you're listening to the audio, I apologize because this is an inherently visual thing. I'll try to give it some narration, but it starts with uh, Hillary Clinton. And... Uh, She's, she's got uh, one bodyguard on one side and another bodyguard on the other side, and she's approaching some really kind of rickety, old, probably very historic steps. Now, at this point, the other bodyguard is uh, in front of them in a yellow shirt, and the other bodyguard that's holding her, which is very frequent, this is almost always how she goes upstairs, no matter how rickety or old they are. You can find lots of pictures of this. So the one bodyguard's got her, she's got her arm collapsed, collapsed around her, I mean around him, and this is something they're very practiced at. They try to make this look very casual. Now she's now what happens is her left leg just goes out straight. Like all of a sudden it just seizes and her leg goes and she loses control of it. And she completely slips. As she's slipping, the leg is still straight out. Now, Hillary, as she begins to fall, puts her hand out and catches herself. Now, uh, we learn later on that she sprained her hand and had to cancel the rest of her book tour. She catches herself. Her leg is still completely just locked out. Like she's lost control of her leg completely. The security guard realizes what's going on. Uh, he, The one in the yellow shirt moves to catch her. 
Now, she puts her arm out. He moves very quickly, swoops in and grabs her. Again, very practiced. The leg, though, has now sort of got that step, but it's still straight. It's still really straight. She's now got her arms around both security guards. The leg does it again. The leg goes straight again like like a, like a board. It just goes straight again and it just turns into a sled and she slips again. Now this time she's being held by two strong men and they really have her. But I'm going to play it. I'm going to back it up a few seconds so you can watch how the leg seizes up and she slips for a second time on the same steps. There she's gone now. Now, what she does very quickly, and it seems to make a big difference for her after this point, is she kicks the sandals off and makes it down the rest of the stairs. So she makes it to the bottom of the steps barefoot and uh, seems to be nursing her hand at this point. But otherwise, she seems okay. Now, uh, I don't know what's going on there, but it really is sort of an intense thing to watch when you see it in video. So uh, I think I have it linked to the show notes, but you can find lots of video if you care about it. Now, I want to just play a brief clip of uh, Chuck Schumer. we got to wrap up this segment, but Chuck Schumer is also part of the dog shit pile that really is stinking at the core of the Democratic Establishment Party. And watch him in this interview. No, I, you caused a stir by a vote on a judicial nominee. I don't know why these two are giggling like uh, like they just touched each other's penises. But listen to the beginning of this clip. No, no, I, you caused a stir. No, I, you caused a stir by a no. I, you caused a stir by a vote on a judicial nominee the other day. The South Carolina attorney Marvin Quattlebaum uh, was confirmed to become a federal judge yeah. by a vote in the Senate of 69 to 29. You were one of the 29 who voted against them, and apparently, uh, because of some of the comments you made, uh, because white and i want to give you a chance to to explain what you meant by that so it came out that schumer voted against a judge nominee simply because he was white uh now chuck schumer is going to attempt to dance around that because it it sounded uh it sounded unusual to put it oddly yeah that was right-wing radio who never really tells the truth uh distorting what i had said what i said is this that Barack Obama had nominated, I think as early as 2013, two people for this seat. You notice how Chuck Schumer's nose sort of begins to grow and then go off to the side like it's been punched a couple of times? And our Republican senators from South Carolina blocked them with the uh, withholding of the blue slip, which has been a tradition. So this seat has been vacant for a long time. The two people nominated were African-Americans. Yeah, I'm bored too. So uh, let's go to the beginning again. No, I, you caused a stir. <laughs> I don't know. He's just got a smirk on his face. No, I, you caused. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Uh, but I do know one thing. Elizabeth Warren is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Do you want to run for president in 2020? Are you going to run for president in 2020? So Elizabeth Warren made a round of the Sunday talk shows. She had some talking points she wanted to address. She was well rehearsed. She was practiced on what to say and had an answer that may sound a bit 
prepped. If you uh, win re-election this year, are you going to pledge to serve a full six-year term? I am not running for president in 2020. I am not running for president in 2020. I am not running for president of the United States. I'm not running for president. See, uh, that's a that's a cutesy choice of language there. I'm not running for president in 2020 because right now what I'm doing is focusing on the current election. I'm running for the current election. Doesn't mean I'm not going to run after this election, but right now I'm focused on the current election. It's it's choice wording so that later on down the road she can say, well, I wasn't running for president. I was running for re-election at the time. Not running for president. So no pledge, though, on the six years. I am not running for president. <laughs> Duly noted. I have an election right now in 2018 here in Massachusetts. I am running for the United States Senate 2018, Massachusetts, woohoo. I'm not here to fight for an America that works better and better mm-hmm. for a thinner and thinner slice at the top. Oh, that kind of sounds like a presidential platform, doesn't it? And plus, you can then say, look, I've been saying this for years. I've been saying this for, for years. This government is working better and better and better for a thinner and thinner slice at the top. Recently, you- no, that wasn't me replaying. She just said it the same exact way on two different shows. We're speaking about your Native American heritage. The issue of your ancestry. Were you to test positive for Native American DNA, it would permanently resolve the issue. It would permanently resolve the issue while possibly shutting down President Trump. What do you make of that idea? Isn't the media formulaic? It's adorable. Would you be willing to take a DNA test to, to put this issue to rest? Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you a little bit about my family. Let me tell you the story of my family. My Mother and dad were born and raised in Oklahoma. My mom and dad were born and raised out in Oklahoma. My mother and daddy were born and raised in Oklahoma. My father fell in love with my mother when they were both still teenagers. You see, she's getting um, advised. This doesn't come naturally to these people. I know we'd all like to think that they're so evil, that they're so they're everybody's Claire, right? All all the women are Claire and all the men are Frank, and they're so clever and they're evil and they're sophisticated. That's just the Clintons, my friends. The reality is these politicians are not this savvy. They are consulted constantly by image experts and they prep them for these kinds of interviews and give them the core talking points to focus on and they kind of get an idea of what the questions are going to be ahead of time because you have a sense of what the coverage is because your job for your client is to monitor what the scuttlebutt out there is to kind of get a sense of what the Sunday talk show hosts are going to want to ask you. So you go in knowing what the questions are and in some situations, they'll even tell you what the questions are ahead of time. A lot of times that's the case on the Sunday talk shows. It's I don't know how they get away with it. So you go in knowing, you prep the questions ahead of time, you get really great answers, you rehearse them a few times, and then you just hit them, hit them, hit them when you go on the air. And this is what it looks like. This is a system. The media has their obvious questions that they're going to ask, and she has her obvious answers that she's going to give. They prep her and give her room in the future. We are watching a case study right now. My daddy was in his teens when he fell in love with my mother. My daddy first saw my mother when they were both teenagers. A beautiful girl who played the piano. Politician looks like this right here. Tall, quiet girl who played the piano. He was just head over heels over her. And he was head over heels in love with her. Head over heels. But his family was bitterly opposed to their relationship. And his family was bitterly opposed to that. But his family was bitterly opposed to their (laughs) relationship. Isn't this something? 
I mean, this is her answer to the DNA test. Relationship because she was part Native American. Oh. Because she was part Native oh, American. Yeah. Because she was part Native mm, American. I My see. parents part. eloped. They eventually eloped. They survived <coughs> the Great Depression. They survived the Dust Bowl. They survived the Great mm-hmm. Depression, the Dust Bowl. They went through a lot of hard times, yeah. a lot of knocks. They raised three boys, my older brothers, all of whom went off to the military. They raised my three brothers, all of whom headed off to the military. I want to believe, you know, we all want to believe. We want to believe that there can be a politician who can get to this level and be a legitimate person. They hung together for 63 years. They hung together for 63 years. I know who I am because of what my mother and my father told me. From our mom and our dad. What my grandmother and my grandfather told me. From our grandparents. What all my aunts and uncles told me. From all of our aunts and uncles. It's a part of who I am. And no one's ever going to take that away. It's a part of me. And nobody's going to take that part of me away. kind of knew that when she went all in for Hillary, didn't you? I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. So let's move on. You already saw that one coming. Let's talk about Trump. Um, So I was making fun of the Democrats. Look at this stupid stunt by Trump. This is something that's designed for the cameras. At what cost to the taxpayers? Yeah, what the president is doing here today, Shep, and he's just a few hundred yards from where we're standing right now, is looking at the eight prototypes of wall. Now, four of those are essentially all concrete. Four of them are made of a mixture of other materials. Photo op, ladies and gentlemen. Donald Trump pretending to listen and review the plans. This guy pretending like he knows what the hell he's talking about with a very expensive-looking book, reviewing things that look like plans. All eight of them, of course, designed to make it as difficult as possible. There's about 25 million cops just standing around. Of course, I exaggerate. There's Secret Service. There's an untold amount of tactical SUVs and the press. So that way we can get pictures of Donald Trump staring at walls. This is the state of politics in 2018. This shit. For would-be illegal immigrants to climb over, to go through, or indeed to tunnel under. We're supposed to be impressed by our great leader standing out in what looks like a shithole, talking about what looks like a stupid idea, pointing at walls. Now, the president is not supposed to say, because this is a government procurement process, remember, uh, so there are strict rules and regulations. He is not supposed to say publicly, and we have not heard him say publicly at this point, which of these he prefers. But he- I got an idea. How about we let Elon Musk build the wall, and he can put a bunch of solar panels on that business and build some Tesla battery walls with some superchargers built in on the other side of the wall, and anybody can charge anything for free. How about that? Let's do it that. That that seems like a great idea. Solar frickin' wall is what we'll call it. The solar frickin' wall. Has said previously, in general, and this is supported by many border agents down here on the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, that transparency, in other words, a certain uh, ability to see through this wall is important. Now, four of those have that uh, modicum of transparency. Four of them are pretty much solid concrete. So you might presume that the president would lean towards one of those through which border agents can see. They say that is important because they need to know who is on the other side of the wall at any point where the groups are gathering, etc. 
So um, the number one thing they need from the wall is the ability to see through the wall. I mean, I guess it's not the number one thing, but it kind of seems like maybe you don't want a wall. Okay, Mr. President, we want a wall, but we just really need to be able to see through it, okay? Through which border agents can see. They say that is important because they need to know who is on the other side of the wall at any point, where the groups are gathering, etc. Are you shitting me? Are you shitting me right now? Are you, are you seriously telling me that, that the, one of the things that the people who are in charge of securing our border want is the ability to see through a wall? Well, let's have Johnny Ives come down here and build a glass frickin' wall then. So throw out the solar panel idea. It's glass frickin' wall time. What an embarrassment. This wall bullshit, he knows it's a bad idea. But Trump is so stuck on delivering campaign promises, the thing that Barry never did, that he's actually going to build something that they need to see through. Well, let's make it a resort, man. Let's put a pool in there. Let's make it a tourist attraction. And then we can just have people vote up or down who can cross the wall. You can just have people like we'll have like a, a... a fashion competition, a swimming competition, and we can vote. Like tourists can go down there. They can go into a resort. They'll pay. They'll pay to go in there, and then they can vote on who can cross the wall. Huh? Because that sounds – that I mean at this point, it's so ridiculous that I might as well make it a moneymaker. The president had no knowledge of the story, and it's completely untrue that here the White House involvement in the story. Uh, and beyond that, this is ongoing litigation, and I'd refer you to the actual parties involved, which aren't the White House. So she's talking about the Fox News uh, suit that is brought on by Seth Rich's family. Seth Rich's family is suing uh, Fox News. Does it disturb you that the, the press secretary for the president of the United States, you just gave this incredibly passionate push back on us for focusing on Russia. Does it disturb you? You just sped right past this. Does it disturb you that there's an allegation out there in a lawsuit? You know, maybe uh, the reason why the Trump administration is hostile to journalists is because they all sound a bunch like a bunch of privileged dicks. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why, because every time they talk, I think that's somebody I could never hang out with. I could never actually associate with that person. Maybe that's why. But listen to this guy. Just... Listen to the way he addresses – he is some print journalist with a backpack and an access card and he's talking to the press secretary. I I, I don't know. It just seems – it just seems like there is a legitimate sense of entitlement that the media comes at that is inherently repulsive. And it sort of creates friction in its very interaction. Just sped right past this. Does it disturb you that there is an allegation out there in a lawsuit? And Sean Spicer admitted meeting with these two individuals that this was discussed in your White House. That he met with members theory. of the media. I don't find that to be a strange thing. You guys pushing, are all members of the media. a story that was later retracted because it was false. He met with that reporter and he met with a campaign voter. Does it disturb you? Does it say anything about this White House that you would entertain that kind of story? It doesn't bother me that the press secretary would take a meeting with somebody involved in the media about a story. None of that was disclosed. No, what bothers me are the bruises on that guy's arm. It was really distracting. There's been an interesting battle between Microsoft, uh, Ireland, and the United States government. The United States government may be granted the opportunity to access data that's stored in other countries. A case between the government and Microsoft is currently being heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. 
Now, this all started five years ago when Microsoft refused to hand over to authorities emails that related to a drug trafficking investigation. I can't. Wow. Five years ago. Wow. Claims that the data was stored on servers that are physically located in Ireland and U.S. law does not stretch outside its own borders. But Washington argues as the tech giant is an American company, it should provide the data. Microsoft says that if it loses, foreign states would then have the right to access data that's based in the U.S. The tech giant claims the credibility of all IT companies is at stake. Oh, the reality is that people will not use technology they do not trust. We need to sustain their trust, and part of sustaining their trust is giving people confidence that their legal rights under their legal systems will in fact be respected, including by the United States. Okay, let's discuss this in more detail now. I'm joined on the line by political activist George Bader and Paul Violis, CEO at Violis Group International. To you, first of all, mate, uh, Paul, what should we be worried about here if Microsoft loses the case? What are the implications? Super awkward. Well, you know, the, the issue that Microsoft is, is pounding on is this, in the, it, this alleged constitutional right to privacy in the United States. You know, that's, that's the one thing that people keep, keep going back and forth on is the right to privacy, the right to privacy. So the Microsoft position is simply if we do this, if we let you have access to our data in Ireland – for a drug case in the U.S., you are going to start a snowball effect where the Chinese government and the Iranian government and all the different go- – the, oh my, I don't know why I don't go to this more often. The tyrannical Canadian government, I mean obviously, is going to want that data, that, that precious data. So you know how I always like to harp that the real problem in Syria is the fact that uh, we pay, arm and enable terrorists over there that are called quote-unquote rebels? 10,000 Syrian rebels are on the Pentagon's payroll. That revelation coming from a U.S. Defense Department budget request. Now, don't be underwhelmed by the 10,000 number, my friends, because that's the Pentagon program. The Pentagon program has been a fundamental failure. You see, the successful program has been the CIA's program, and it's way more than 10,000. You don't need to worry about that. This is specifically the Pentagon's program, which we have some insights about because the military at some level has to release information and be transparent, a problem that the CIA does not have to deal with. (laughs) 10,000 Syrian rebels are on the Pentagon's payroll. That revelation coming from a U.S. Defense Department budget request. Washington now hopes to increase that number to 65,000. That's just, again, the Pentagon numbers. Despite the crushing failure of a previous train and equip program. So we're going to totally just uh, send potentially 65,000 terrorists into Syria for what exactly? I thought we were spinning that down. Hmm. One key element of the DOD's strategy to defeat ISIS is to train, equip, sustain and enable elements of the vetted Syrian opposition. These forces are projected to total approximately 60 to 65,000. Why don't we just get our own forces? Oh, right, we can't do that. 65,000. This pet army would be bigger than the Canadian or Australian militaries. And Pet army is a fair assessment, I think, and larger than the Canadian, the tyrannical Canadian army. Don't forget, there are already three warring armies in Syria. 
The Pentagon is planning on equipping and providing this puppet force with everything but their underwear. Tens of thousands of new rifles, machine guns, mortars, millions of rounds of ammunition, a thousand vehicles. Don't forget, they're seemingly going to pay their salaries. More Toyotas, everybody. Two to four hundred dollars a month. So um, I don't know about you, but I know a bunch of friends who are unemployed. It sounds like the best way for them to get some money is to just go to Syria and become a terrorist. And then they'll get a handout from the U.S. government. Seemingly going to pay their salaries, two to four hundred dollars a month. Oh. It's all in the new counterterrorism fund request. It says clearly, once ISIS is destroyed, this new army will stabilize and patrol the territory it holds <laughs> near enough a third of Syria, which meshes well with Washington's plans to stay in Syria indefinitely. So Assad's never getting that out, that area back keep the country split up and prevent Assad from winning. But there are questions like, where is the U.S. going to find 30,000 more moderate rebels when it couldn't find 10? Can you tell us what the total number of trained fighters remains? Uh, It's a small number. And uh, uh, the ones that are in the fight is, uh, is, is... We're talking four four or five. The last time the U.S. trained, equipped, and sent forth a rebel army, they all promptly gave up their guns and joined al-Qaeda. They spent hundreds of millions on that, by the way. It was really embarrassing. Anyway, you look at it, this means more war. It says so in black and white. The U.S. will only train and equip vetted Syrian opposition. And hope that this time they don't all turn out to be Islamist radicals. I don't really know what to say to that. Um, I guess Trump changed nothing when it comes to our strategy in the Middle East. I, I had some weird part of me that dreamt that we would start to get so carried away with uh, North Korea and China. And Obama talked about this pivot to Asia. And I, I, I had hoped maybe somebody that ran this place would be like, you know what? Let's just let Russia have the Middle East. Let them work with Assad. Let them work with Iran. Let's just, let's just get out of there. Let's focus on China. Let's focus on India. Let's focus on the tyrannical Canadian government, the regime in, in Canada. That was my dream. And that we would lose interest in the Middle East. Um, but it is nothing but a dream because that shit's never, ever going to happen. And we're doubling down and you've got hundreds of thousands trained, financed and equipped by the CIA via our partners in Qatar and Turkey and many others. And then you've got the Pentagon's program that's actually on the fricking books, the pet army. Well, they can get 60,000 people just because that jackass in a hearing said 10 people have been trained. They can get 65000 They can get more than that. You know why? Because our drone program hasn't stopped. Because our activities haven't stopped. There's lots of angry people that want to kill people for money. And uh, something tells me that recruiting process probably isn't all that legitimate. And so they're probably, as sick and twisted as this sounds, preying on people that want to strike at the West. They're probably manipulating them. <laughs> and, they're, and they're just all out there. Low-hanging fruit. And we notice this. 
and we're the uninformed masses. Imagine the people in power that have their own intelligence apparatus, the real superpowers out there. They know way more than we know. And it's in this context, in the U.S.'s behavior, really since 9-11, this, this attempt to secure a new American century. It's, going, it's not going unnoticed by Assad, by Putin, and by China. The most dramatic political change in China in decades. So think of this, when you watch this clip, Think of this context. Think of this. Think of all of this. The fact that the world is watching what we're doing in Libya, in Africa, in the Middle East, and even with our own domestic surveillance. Like the world sees this. So it's that context in which you should watch this clip. A vote to scrap term limits for China's president. Put in place in the 1980s, now history. The move clears the way for Xi Jinping to stay in power indefinitely and possibly for life. Of nearly 3,000 ballots, only two voted against the unprecedented move, triggering fears of a return to an era of strongman rule the country has not seen since Mao Zedong. This is a clear message from Xi Jinping to all within China, don't challenge me, I'm going to be around for a long time. Now, the question is why? What makes this necessary? What would motivate these politicians to do this? This is recent history in which China changed this. Across China, there's growing anxiety among those troubled by the limitless power of one man. She has overseen a crackdown on lawyers and activists and punished thousands of officials for corruption. Government censors have been in overdrive to smother criticism, erasing social media posts and banning searches for terms like constitution and emigration. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. But that's uh, pretty classic uh, Chinese government tactics there. Another metric they could have quoted is the economy around selling merchandise for Z. It's nuts. It's He's worshipped by some of the people there. The worry is that a slight autocratic rule could cause instability here, which could mean a more precarious relationship for the U.S. on big issues like trade and North Korea. They, They really don't even get close to the issue. They don't even touch it. This is a response to actions by the West in general. And I'm not just talking about the states. This is there's a motivator here. There's a reason why guys like Vladimir Putin are winning landslide landslide elections. And there's a reason why the Chinese government is making a fundamental shift to a problem that they only solved within my lifetime. There's a reason. It's because there's an existential threat. (laughs) And a huge part of that is the United States. We are causing in our actions the very boogeymans that uh, we are now having to fight. We do it with Middle East policy, and now we're doing it with the superpowers. It is, it is an unsustainable course. And the United States is in a good position, but not the best position it could be. 
And there's former allies that are now turning against us, specifically in the Middle East. The U.S. military has halted its ground operations against Islamic State in eastern Syria. In a statement, the Pentagon said the move was due to the Kurdish forces in the area shifting their focus from fighting terrorists to countering a Turkish offensive. What? Now cross live to RT Samira Khan in Washington, D.C. for more. Now, Samira, could you tell us more about this latest development? Well, according to U.S. officials, U.S.-backed ground operations against Islamic State remnants in eastern Syria have been put on hold. Now, that's because Kurds who had spearheaded combat against extremists have shifted to a separate fight with Turkish forces in Afrin. Uh, Check out what the Pentagon had to say. Some fighters operating within the SDF have decided to leave operations in the middle Euphrates River Valley to fight elsewhere, possibly in Afrin. You know, these are our vetted, uh, these are our vetted terrorists. <laughs> it's just, what a frickin', what a frickin' waste. All right, let's change it up. Let's pick it up. I've got some news from the Stranger Zone. All right, first up in the Stranger Zone is Inside the Navy's 2015 encounter with a wicked fast UFO. UFOs have captivated the public interest for decades, but they've always been dismissed, including by me as the province of wackos. But that is changing thanks to some remarkable videotape and firsthand accounts from very sober people who are trained very to identify sober. aircraft. <laughs> And that would include this video. It shows two Navy pilots encountering something bizarre off the east coast of the United States. Watch this. Okay, these are guys who fly for a living, who know what other airplanes look like, including those maintained by foreign governments, and they're totally shocked by this. This is one among many incidents like it, including many that have happened in the middle of the day to sober people, lots of independent witnesses at the same event, commercial pilots, military pilots, O'Hare Airport in the afternoon. None of them have obvious explanations. These are aircraft, apparently, that are moving in ways that appear to violate physics, that are flying very differently from any aircraft ever observed, and way faster than any plane that we know any foreign country has. What is this? Well, we don't know, because for some reason, the Defense Department is not interested in finding out. Ah. Lou Elizondo is a former Pentagon official. He helped research UFOs. He said the DOD is not taking any of this seriously for some reason. Mr. Elizondo joins us tonight. Luke, good to see you. Thank you for having me. So did I overstate that? Is there a growing corpus of evidence, not drunk people on a lonely rural road at three in the morning, but sober military pilots saying something that we can't explain is happening? That is correct. You're talking about individuals who have very high security clearances. They are trained observers. We've actually paid them and put them through schools to be trained and very keen observers uh, to scrutinize what they're seeing. Uh, These are individuals who we trust to fly uh, weapons platforms, sometimes with live munitions, over U.S. cities and to fight and win wars on our behalf. And they're reporting to us that they're seeing something that they can't explain. And it's also being backed up by the video evidence and the radar data and other witnesses. But these must just be weather balloons, right? Well, the weather balloons that are expressing technologies that are far beyond 
our current understanding of aerodynamics, things that are, are maneuvering in ways that no aircraft that we are currently aware of has that capability to. Flight performance characteristics that are well beyond the threshold of what we would consider, um, I think, normal or routine for, for aircraft. So they have no flight surfaces, no wings or anything approaching a wing, and there's also no obvious propulsion. So infrared doesn't pick up any jet trail or rocket uh, exhaust coming out of these things. Right, or a plume. Uh, you know, there's, there's many ways to, to have propulsion. You can do it with a jet engine, for example, right. or a propeller, or a rocket engine. In this particular case, you have objects that are doing things, maneuvering in ways without any obvious sign of propulsion, and, and defying the natural effects of Earth's gravitational... At what speeds? Cool. Uh, some are very, very, very fast. Um, Faster than our aircraft or no Absolutely. Aircraft? Hypersonic speeds. And by the way, without any obvious signs or signatures involved. So when an object's moving through the atmosphere, you would expect it to have certain signatures associated with that particular aircraft, whether it's a missile, drone, rocket. Uh, so, for example, you might see a heat signature coming from it. You might see ionization of the atmosphere. Right. You might hear a sonic boom, uh, which you normally would. It's an acoustic signature. In this particular case... These objects don't have any of those signatures. So we know that they're not U.S. military because they wouldn't be flying near U.S. Mm. military aircraft as they so often have. The thing they give me is on the, uh, on the engine signature, but you never know. Maybe it's some sort of secret uh, military program. All right. We have one more to get to before we wrap up the uh, Stranger Zone. The disappearance of Amelia Earhart, one of America's biggest mysteries, may finally be solved. A brand new analysis found that the bones discovered on a remote island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, which they once thought belonged to a man, so they said they weren't her. But now they did a new scientific analysis, and they say yes, 99% chance that they do belong to the famed pilot. Earhart disappeared in July of 1937, and ever since, theory after theory of her fate has intrigued generations. Joining me now, Dorothy Cochran, the curator of the aeronautics department at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum, one of the best stops in Washington, D.C., uh, joins us. Good to see you tonight, Dorothy. Um, talk to us about the science behind the new measuring of the measurements of the bones are what he was going by. What did he find? Well, I don't think that he's found Amelia Earhart's bones because I don't believe she was flying in the vicinity of uh, Nicomaroro Island. Why not? Um, because she was the morning uh, that she was doing Howland Island. <laughs> She's like, Martha's like, damn it, you just yeah. ruined my segment. Do you see that? Well, I don't think that he's found Amelia Earhart's bones because I don't believe she was flying in the vicinity of uh, Nicomaroro Island. Why not? Um, because she was the oh, morning uh, that she was doing <laughs> Howland Island. We know that she was very close to Howland Island because the Coast Guard cutter Itasca was there awaiting her, and they were receiving strong radio calls from her that she was in the vicinity there, and she was actively searching for Howland Island. Um, so for that reason, that's one of the reasons I believe that she was up near Howland Island. And the second reason I don't believe that she was down uh, at Nicomaroro was because uh, six days later, the Navy overflew that island and saw absolutely no signs of any person or airplane crash. Whoa, there's a misfire there. Just one, just one, my friends. There we go. Yeah. All right, that wraps up the Stranger Zone. Not so strange, that last one.
Okay, I admit it. Uh, that wasn't so strange. Uh, but you know what was strange is this super awkward interview that Aaron Burnett, I Love Chicken, had with a former Trump aide. And uh, I'm not going to say any more. I'll just uh, I'll let you watch. Okay, so let's let's see them. So Sam, I have to ask you one other thing. Yes, ma'am. And it's an awkward question to ask, but you know I've I've, I've interviewed yes. you before. You're sitting very close to me. Yes. We talked earlier about what people in the White House were saying about you. Yeah. Talking about whether you you were you were drinking or on drugs or whatever they uh, had happened today. Um, talking to you, yeah. I have smelled alcohol. You see, he uh, he takes this really awkward drink out of that cup. And then she says, I'm sitting close to you, and I've smelled alcohol. Breath. Well, I, I have not had a drink. You haven't had a drink, so that's no. not... His face no. gets super red all of a sudden. And you know what? If you watch the beginning... So watch now. If you're, You can also just hear him sort of fussing around. He looks a little drunk. Watch him. Okay, so let's, let's see them. So, Sam, I have to ask you one other thing. Yes, ma'am. And it's an awkward question to ask, but, you know, I've, I've, I've interviewed yes. you before. You're sitting very close to me. Yes. We talked earlier about what... People in the White House were saying about you. Yeah, talking about whether you, you, you look at the way he like, just, yeah, and then he goes for the cup here, and it gets really awkward. You were you were drinking or on drugs or whatever they uh, had happened today. Um, talking to you, yeah. I have smelled alcohol. Breath. Gets well, weird I, right I there. Have not had a drink. You haven't had a drink, so that's no. not. No. So I, I just because it is the talk out there. Again, I know it's awkward. Let me just get give you the question well, so you can uh, categorically answer. answer no, nope, you have you had a drink answer, today? My answer is no. I have not. Anything else? No. 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 Besides my beds. We'll give that a okay. plug right there too. <laughs> That's so weird. Is that okay? No, I, th- I mean I'm not. I'm just trying to understand. Well, look, well, look, they can say they can say whatever they want. I don't really care. That is so, so awkward, Uh, but not not my favorite moment in media this week. Uh, That would go to this clip right here. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. Secretary of Defense James Mattis. Finally, somebody gives a good answer to that question. Finally. Uh, All right. That wraps up the overtime. See you right back here next week.